does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It is the Fan Midday Show. It is still without a permanent host. There is one voice that you hear on this program on a regular basis, and that is not mine. You hear mine on an occasional basis. I was on last Thursday. Greg Rakestraw is my name. Happy to play the role of substitute teacher yet again on this Tuesday afternoon. The ways you interact with me are the same that it has been, well, since like the beginning of time. Or like 2007, one of the two. 317-239-1070. That is the telephone number. Now, to then get a hold of me specifically at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter, email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. But that voice you hear that is a constant this program, that would be Jimmy Cook. He works with uh, Partners Great and not so great on this program on a daily basis. How are you today, my friend? Doing great. I put you in the former, by the way, just so you're you're clear on that and the audience is clear in terms of the, the categorization. It took me about hosts. three seconds, the former. The great part. Okay, good. Okay, good. Not, not, the, not the not so great part. Um, I think we have a great guest lineup today. Uh, and it's fitting that, again, and, and I, we talked about this last Thursday and I was in, I am a big proponent of local. I'm a big and and as obvious by what I do for a living with ISC Sports Network, I think that applies to the radio airwaves as well. We try to bring you the best in local conversation when it merits it. We're kind of in a holding pattern right now. We're now nine days out from the NFL draft, so we're inching closer to it. Uh, I'm going to reference a hundred days to Indy. It's not. There is an email that I got that I maybe it was from yesterday that said it was 41 days until the Indianapolis 500. I now think it is 40, 40 days and 40 nights if we are counting properly to May 28th. Uh, Jimmy may stress that as decision day first in the Premier League and then secondarily race day in Indianapolis. We're going to talk about that coming up in a matter of moments. And again, The Pacers are just observers when it comes to the NBA playoffs. Although there are plenty of players with local ties and other things that might merit your attention. But when there is not this dominant local topic for us to sink our teeth into, and again, I realize how big of a deal the NFL draft is. I'm not trying to poo-poo it in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It's just... You know, we've kind of been in the same spot from a draft standpoint since literally the Bears offloaded the number one pick to the Carolina Panthers for a haul of players back, but the Bears will pick at nine, I believe, was when their first pick is going to be. There is something in this industry called advancing the story, and I'll do my best to try to do that, but I'll also be straight up with you and acknowledge that I'm kind of tired of the waiting game, too. I'm ready to get on with it and 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 let's kick this thing and let's go and let's have an NFL draft that will take three days and we'll do it nine days from now. And of course, you'll have great coverage here between now and then. And obviously through Matt Taylor and the rest of my uh, uh, colleagues with the Indianapolis Colts radio network starting next Thursday night. But we'll talk about that with Mike Chappell. 
coming up at 2 o'clock. Chappie joins his program each and every Tuesday. Uh, Chappie and I broke bread together, not at the same table, but the Indiana Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association Hall of Fame Banquet and Awards program that was on Sunday afternoon. One of two stops on the rubber chicken circuit for me, although the chicken was quite tasty at both locations that I went to on Sunday. But yes, we will talk draft and we'll talk some other things with Chap. Coming up, uh, I'm always fascinated when, when Mike and I get to have these on-air, the conversations. We talk off-air all of the time in terms of text messages at the Colts Complex, etc. We get to maybe have four or five of these conversations every year. So even though the next wave of Hall of Fame voting isn't going to be for a while, I always throw Chappie a Hall of Fame question as the Indianapolis representative. We'll talk about him. We'll talk about that with Reggie Wayne uh, coming up uh, a little bit later on in the program. But other than that... We will have a wide variety of topics for you on the program today. Coming up in the next segment of the show, I'm assuming Pat's last name is pronounced Diamond. I could be wrong. We will find out momentarily. But he is one of the executive producers. He's with Vice TV and one of the producers of the 100 Days to Indy. I don't want to. It's not a documentary. It's not a reality show. Um, Docu-series. There, thank you. Somewhere in the middle. Um, And I also, even though this is what it is, it is everybody, hey, you've seen the F1 show on Netflix, right? You're going to do something like that, right? Well, yeah, they are. Uh, And the debuts on the CW, also on draft night, nine days from now, I believe the first airing on Vice is going to be May 2nd, is going to be that Tuesday night. Now, I'm not going to lie, okay? Tuesdays in the Rakestraw household for very particular times of the year on Vice, that's when Dark Side of the Ring comes out. So I'm used to turning my television on Spectrum Cable to 1185 so I can watch Vice TV. I think Dark Side of the Ring begins on May 30th. This program begins on May 2nd. CW will have access to it first. I believe that's the way it works. I don't want to get too bogged down in the details, so I thought it was cool and relevant as we get you ready for the month of May in Indianapolis. There will be a new way to prep and prime yourself for the month of May in Indianapolis. Not that we in Indy usually need the help. We're pretty knowledgeable. We're obviously very passionate. We turn out by the hundreds of the thousands to be at 16th and Georgetown and share this wonderful communal experience with each other that obviously we as this radio station have been privileged to be a part of for the last eight decades and in this building to provide it to you in exclusive fashion for the last two. And I have been honored to be a part of that for each of the last now 10 years, and that will continue, by the way, coming up this May. You will hear me hosting the post-race show here on The Fan, and you will hear me as you're going to the track on race day. I'll be a part of the morning public address announce crew at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well on May the 28th, and I'm super stoked about that too. So, But that whole show that we'll talk about in the next segment there might be a little remedial for some of us here that follow the series on a regular basis, but the whole idea is you're trying to let people outside of Indianapolis and outside of the sphere of influence that IndyCar has already, let them know how cool, how wonderful, how amazing 
the talent, the technology, the teams, the atmosphere, the racing is. That's the entire point. And what I'll be asking Pat about is, frankly, how does that translate to a 30-minute show or a 60-minute show or whatever it is going to be? We'll talk about that with Pat coming up in the next segment of the program. Apparently, because we tend to have um, rotating hosts on this program, and because I, for some dumb reason, turned down the assistance from a quality human being like Jimmy Cook, in my days of doing a radio show, I served as the talk show host and the producer. If I'm going to make a a dark side of the ring reference, let's go and steer full tilt into a wrestling reference. I'm not only a wrestler, I'm the booker too. I'm the one that wrote the storyline. So usually when I'm filling in, my first text is to Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, who's on the show today? And eventually became, hey, Mike Chappell, what else can I do for you? I'm like, I'm good. I got it. And it basically turns into, for the last 24 hours, as I'm doing various and sundry things for the ISC Sports Network or, uh, you know, okay, I'm really playing Tetris on my phone. Um, you know, it is, okay, who would I like to have on the show? And a lot of that, just you, you kind of scroll through social media, and I see a post from MG. Do I need to explain who MG is to the people that listen to the fan? I don't think so. But just in case... Michael Grady, the television voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I go, hey, dude, it's one of your old co-workers in Indianapolis. I'm not sure you remember us at this point anymore. Do you have time for me on the radio show? Took him a while to answer back. And finally, he says, yes, I do. So, okay, 1 o'clock. And I walk in. And, of course, the amount of preparation that goes into this show is extensive. I walk in at 11.54. That was 15 minutes ago. And Jimmy goes, hey, listen. And he tried to do this in as nice and as courteous of a way as possible. (laughs) Hey, um, it's not really a big deal, but just so you know, we had Mike on the show yesterday. So clearly I wasn't listening, so I will not emulate any of the questions that I'm sure Jimmy or Will Haskett asked in a beyond professional way, but making a almost like he was doing 10 to noon again, back-to-back days for Michael Grady on 107.5 The Fan. I'm sorry, but frankly, you as the listening audience benefits, because as you know, Michael is really stinking good at his job, really good at his job. And we'll talk about making the transition from talk show host to television anchor to pre-half and post host slash sideline reporter and then to television voice of a team and many might see the addition of Rudy Gobert as to what got that team over the top to being a playoff team others would point to Michael Grady being named the television voice of the team Who's right? It's not for me to say. But Michael Grady will join us coming up at about 1 o'clock. We'll also get the media route at 1.30. And this is a person. I used the phrase sphere of influence a few minutes ago. It sounds all formal and fancy. I'm going to use it again. If you're a recent grad of DePaul University, you probably know who this person is. If you get your television coverage from Terre Haute, specifically WTHI, you might know who this person is. If you happen to hail from Wakarusa or Napanee, you're defending 3A boys basketball state champion Northwood Panthers, by the way. 
then maybe you would know who this is. But if not, you probably don't. His name is Dominic Miranda. You'll be seeing him on your television screens on a more regular basis. He was just hired to be the number two sports anchor slash reporter at WTHR behind Dave Calabro. Dominic also happens to be a former intern of this radio station dating back to the days of when I was the program director and in the other duties as necessary, although I gladly did this and embraced this and love this part of my job, I named myself, it wasn't anywhere in my contract, but I named myself the de facto internship director. We had like a schedule and meetings and everything. It was fancy. Dominic Moran was one of my former interns and now um, he's got a pretty prestigious job. Not bad for his third job in television. He's not that far removed from being a DePaul University student. So when I texted Dom, I said, 1.30 today. He said, for what? I said, just call me and we'll figure it out. So Dominic Miranda coming up at 1.30. And the other guest that we're going to have in the program today also got this from social media as well. But you probably know her as one of the all-time greats to ever play basketball at Indiana University on the women's side. I have a unique Southern Indiana slash Kentuckiana connection to her that I'm sure that Grace doesn't even know about. Grace Berger, seventh pick in the WNBA draft, newest member of the Indiana Fever, along with Aaliyah Boston and like the five other players that got drafted by the Indiana Fever last week. They had a bunch of picks in the top, and hopefully that will not happen again because of this great influx of talent. So Grace is from Louisville, uh, and so she literally has gone from Louisville to Bloomington to Indianapolis, and I guarantee you ticket sales have gone up for the Indiana Fever because she is on the roster. Good news is she can actually play as well, which means that ticket sales will continue to go up for the Indiana Fever. Uh, Grace, I think, had a presser earlier today. They've got practice this afternoon. After practice is over, she will join the program. So that is the assembled guest list. To use a radio terminology, we got guests for at the top and bottom of every hour. It's kind of like news and traffic together on the fives. But we've got it for you at the top and bottom of every hour. That's when we have a guest on the show today. Uh, when we don't have a guest in the program today, that's, again, when you can call the program, 317-239-1070. Tweet to me anytime at Greg Rakestraw or email the show, greg at 1070thefan.com. And I will uh, not like, flash my number here at the for those of you watching the live stream. But if you got the bat phone, text me too. You just might make the show. All right, so a couple of topics caught my attention knowing I would have um, an opening monologue as the way our clock tends to be formatted, or knowing that there was kind of a, a lot of interesting guests, and if it's interesting to me, I hope I make it interesting to you in terms of our conversation. But in terms of like this dominant topic, I have to hammer home the opening segment of the show, and I'm not feeling it right now. But a couple of things that caught my attention. One, and this one actually just happened this morning. In fact, I think it maybe just got released a few minutes ago. But DeMar Hamlin has been medically cleared to play for the Buffalo Bills. His heart stopped in the field on January the 2nd on Monday Night Football just down the road in Cincinnati. And what was really a showcase game and clearly was like the highlight of the Monday night football season. Let's face it, in the 3-4 channel era, 
and this is well before Mr. Cook was, you know, walking the earth, in the three or four channel era, man, Monday Night Football was appointment television. And this is before, like, right as I began to walk the earth, let alone uh, the young whippersnapper across the room from me. Um, but, you know, Howard's halftime highlights. Like, I, I remember Howard Cosell on Monday Night Football. I don't remember Howard's highlights on Monday Night Football. I know of them. But I remember tuning in to watch so I could see, like, the other 11 games that, were t- that took place in the National Football League the day before. Monday Night Football used to be appointment television. It is still one of the most rated television shows, most highly rated television shows, I could say. Um, like of most, uh, I'll, I'll butcher this number, but it's something like eighty-nine percent of like the highest-rated television broadcast every year are National Football League games. Seriously, that, that which is why that it's on ESPN, and there's a second cast on ESPN too, and sometimes those games are on ABC. You get my point. But it's still rare, unless the Colts are playing, that I go, man, I got to work my schedule around Monday Night Football. I want to sit down and watch that game. Bills and Bengals was that game. I was looking forward to, hey, I I don't have much going on. Obviously, we knew by that time Colts were going to be a playoff team. Um, This is kind of a a really cool kind of precursor to what the playoffs are going to look like. This is great. And I kind of got to the game late. And they're showing this really wide shot of the field. And then you hear the tone of Joe Buck's voice. And 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 God bless the ESPN production crew for not um, giving you the close-up shot. That's kind of standard industry procedure. If there is a significant injury, you kind of back away and, and not try to sensationalize what is happening. And I know looking back at it three months later, there was some information that got passed along that as happens on live television sometimes wasn't the most accurate i don't think there was anything malicious in that it's just the nature of trying to fill when there's nothing new i used the phrase advance the story earlier um i hope that's water under the bridge certainly i view it in, in that direction but i bring this all up because his heart stopped on the field Because of a hit, a legal hit in the National Football League, his heart stopped on the field. And three months later, he has been cleared by three different medical experts to resume his NFL career. It's wonderful news. And it's also fair to say, hey, should you be doing that? It's a fair question to ask. I would imagine that DeMar and his family have gone through that many times over the last 90 to 100 days. But he is with the team in Buffalo going through voluntary workouts. You'll see him, I'm sure, in the in preseason play. Just kind of kind of have to go back out there and experience it and to, 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 to get back on the bike to use a really oversimplified and basic term for what we're talking about here. But that kind of crossed my path. I want to make sure I mention that at the top of the show. And again, forget being able to play in the National Football League. That's, you know, that's the cherry on top of the Sunday. The fact that that dude is with us and that, you know, he had this fundraiser, uh, this, that as people, you know, wanted to find a way to support this young man and what he was going through, not for his medical costs, but just to try to honor him. 
He had a toy drive. His goal was to raise $2,500. He raised $9 million. And he has championed a program to ensure, while you will never have the level of medical personnel at an average high school game that you would have at a National Football League game, you can't at least have an AED at every site. And so he has partnered with the National Football League to make sure that happens. God bless you, DeMar Hamlin. Good on you, DeMar Hamlin. Uh, The ultimate thank you to the medical folks in Cincinnati and Buffalo that 100 days later, I can sit here and have a conversation with you and say, this guy's been medically cleared to return to the National Football League. It's remarkable. It's miraculous. And I'm happy to share that news with you in case you had not heard that, if that had not crossed your Twitter feed, your ESPN app, whatever the case may be, over the course of the last, say, hour or so. But the other thing that struck me in watching sports last night, and I'll admit to you, because of the amount of sports I broadcast on television, the internet, radio, etc., like I'm not always one that's going just to plop myself down in front of a couch um, or in front of a television on the couch just to be locked in, kind of in a different phase of my life. Then it hits me like, about nine or so. Hey, dude, um, you're on the radio tomorrow. You're talking for three hours. You better have a working knowledge or understanding of kind of as to what's happened in like the NBA playoffs to converse about it with some degree of intelligence um, in this year format. So much like Charles Barkley, I didn't pay much attention uh, to the opening game between the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. I know the Sixers won it. I know that Joel Embiid had 20 points and 19 rebounds. I also know the Brooklyn Nets like traded away like half their team in midseason, and they somehow ended up as the sixth seed. But, you know, Charles uh, told you uh, on, God bless him, on the NBA on TNT that, hey, there's three series of these. You don't have to worry about the start. Basically, focus on Knicks and Cavaliers. Put all your attention out west. So, because of the time of evening that it was, and the amount of caffeine that I gave myself to be functional yesterday, I was awake until like 12.30, 1 o'clock to watch the dying embers of the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors. And in watching that game up until a certain point, a couple of things struck me. First of all, on the Kings standpoint, it has been so long Since they have been in a playoff game, it has been so long since, frankly, they have been on my television screen for any reason. Like, I guess I think of things like a play-by-play guy in my head without without even – it's just muscle memory. Like, I, like, identify players with numbers or players where I think they are going to be. And, like, for a moment, as, like, there was a drive and kick by a member of the Kings, like, I expected Mike Bibby to be the guy that was catching and shooting from the three-point wing. I saw a guy wearing number 15, and I go, oh, that's John Salmons. He hadn't played in the league in, like, 15 years. That's how long it's been since, like, the Kings had – actually, maybe 10 years for John, but you get the point, okay? It has been a while. So that was so being from a smaller market, I all I know like I, I like made myself watch the Bucks and Suns in the NBA Finals two years ago because I'm like, dude, okay, it's not a major market team that's going to win this. Watch this and enjoy it, and I did. So 
It has been, I believe, Jimmy, since 2006, since the Kings were a playoff team. I think that's the 17-year itch that has been scratched by the folks in Northern California. And then, obviously, it's literally the team just down the road. It's the team that has won so many championships. It, It really is great theater. Then the next thing that struck me was Pacers fans, are we happy for Demonis Sabonis? I, we should be, right? We happy that he played here, led the team to a couple of playoff appearances, but but can never get over the hump. There was kind of that ceiling around 45 wins that this group was going to accomplish. He goes there. He's getting votes for first and second team all NBA. They end the playoff streak. We should be happy for him, right? Because we're happy that Tyrese Halliburton is here. We wouldn't change that deal, would we? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally not trying to be that guy that stirs the pot on talk radio. I think Tyrese Halliburton is wonderful. But there's a part of me watching that that goes, I want to be happy for him, but maybe a little bit I'm, I'm not because he should still be here. I was going through that in my mind watching that. But then all that got wiped away because Draymond Green does Draymond Green things. And I finally get to talking about that dude as I know I need to get to a break to get to our first guest on the program. But like any time over the last 10 to 12 years, you could basically say, and both these things can be true, you can talk about Draymond Green doing the little things that helps his team win and that he's the bad guy and every team needs a little bit of that. You can also say he's a jackass, okay? Both those things can be true. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Because trust me, I was kind of leaning towards the latter in watching it last night. And we'll talk more about that later in the show. But we will make the left turn. You see what I did there? Indianapolis 500, broadcast professional. Or something like that. 100 Days to Indy, not really. But that's the name of the show. We're going to tell you about it next. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It is the Fan Midday Show. It's Greg Rakestraw hanging out with Jimmy Cook and hanging out with you on the telephone lines at 317-239-1070. Interact with us on Twitter at Greg Rakestraw. Email the program to greg at 1070thefan.com. For the first of five times today, we have a fantastic guest lined up for you. He is the director of the 100 Days to Indie series that is about to make its debut. He is Pat Diamond with Vice. You can catch it on both Vice as well as the CW, which means Wish TV here in Indianapolis. Pat, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you guys for having me. Really excited. Of course. So obviously this is about to make its television debut next week. How long, though, has this project, how long has the work been going for this for you uh, in earnest, if you will? Uh, since I'd say December, I came into Indy, met a lot of the, uh, the drivers and the teams and um, obviously everyone that works at IMS and everyone's been really great. So I'd say, yeah, I think uh, first or first week of December, we kind of came in, laid it, laid out all the groundwork, met everyone, and yeah, got to work basically from there. What do you want people to know about this show before they view it for the first time next Thursday? I think it's a show for obviously the diehard fan, but then I think it's a show also for 
you know, the maybe the adjacent fan or they know someone that's a fan, they'll really like it. And then someone that is just kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a sports fan in general. Um, you know, it kind of gives you a lot of the behind the scenes access to the teams and to the drivers and their and their inner circles. And then obviously it's got all the, you know, the kind of heart pounding action um, from all the races. So it's got a little bit of everything, uh, a little bit for, for everyone. Again, Pat Diamond, director of 100 Days to Indy, joining us here. Greg Rakestraw with you, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, how much you know about IndyCar before beginning this project? Very limited, um, <laughs> which sometimes I would argue is helpful in yes. some of these. You know, I, I work in this space a lot, and so um, sometimes it's helpful to to not be too ingrained in in who the athletes are and who and what the sport is. You kind of come in with a little bit of a clean slate, with no kind of preconceived notions about you know maybe storylines or, or certain drivers. So you come, you know, my team and I. Um, we all have been doing this for a long time for a variety of sports. And so, you know, we kind of come in, you know, eyes wide open. And it's been a really kind of an amazing sport to to kind of sink our teeth into and get an idea of, you know, you know what makes these guys tick. How, there's so much technology and so much hard work behind the scenes that goes into it that, that you know, obviously the diehard fan knows, but that the casual viewer doesn't know. And so that's been really interesting for us is just to kind of, get a peek behind the curtain not really knowing anything about the sport beforehand well frankly as, as a storyteller if something piques your curiosity then you have that ability to expound on that and and, and show people why this is unique why this is different and so that, and so it's 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 the right sort of idea to have going into a project like that so there, there's things you didn't know that you didn't know when this started what was kind of one of those first like light bulb moments aha moments or something where you go i i, I never thought of that but then it, it, it seems simple once somebody said or explained it to you what, what was one of those first moments like for you in this process well i think first of all i i you know first day i was out there willpower gave me a ride around the ims uh track in one of the pace cars that was an immediate um if anyone's doubting whether this is you know a uh a hard sport or, uh, you know, you know, it is a very, very serious, uh, sport. Like I was, you know, I was obviously freaking out when I was sitting behind, you know, I was sitting in the passenger seat and I, and will, you know, casually was kind of talking to me while we were going 175 miles an hour, <laughs> six inches from the wall. So I can assure anyone out there that it is a very, uh, real, uh, you know, technical and a very skilled sport. Um, and so not that anyone was, was doubting that, but I think, um, yeah, one of those moments to me was, you know, the, you know, these drivers are such, you know, they're obviously the top, you know, X in the, in the world. And, and it's, and it's still great to just kind of see them open up to, to our team and to our cameras and kind of let the world in to kind of see, you know, behind the scenes with them, even though, you know, they're, they're obviously rock stars and they're, you know, they're huge athletes, but um, it's great to see them kind of, in, you know, off the track and kind of see they're all really, everyone that I've met is, is gracious, humble, hardworking, you know, driven, you know, very, you know, just, just uber professional. And so that, that to me is a really, um, 
is a great environment to work in. Again, Pat Diamond, Vice Media, joining us. Obviously, 100 Days to Indy starts next week. CW Vice will have it as well. Uh, and again, I frequent both of those channels here locally in, in terms of both Wish TV as, as well as Vice. It's 93.5 and, and, and 107.5, the fan. It's easy for someone at the beginning of this can kind of look and say, okay, here's the defending 500 champion. We're going to talk to him. Here's the defending IndyCar Series champion. We're going to talk to him. Here's the powerhouse teams. But as you then get to know these individuals, Obviously, kind of how guys work with you and, 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 and the interviews you have with them, you kind of say, okay, that's somebody whose story I want to showcase more. So who was somebody that kind of their personality, what they had to say, kind of reached through the camera and grabbed you? Is there a driver that that description immediately comes to mind in, in your mind? Well, I think, listen, you know, you have the – you know, the top driver, you know, the top athletes in every sport. And those are kind of the obvious, you know, stories to kind of tell. Um, and then obviously, you know, not that these guys aren't all great drivers and, you know, the, the margins of winning are, you know, hundreds of seconds, but, you know, then, you know, some of the guys maybe that aren't doing as well this year um, or haven't done as well in years past. And then their stories, I, I would argue, are kind of just as interesting and just as important Um you know, for example, we, we interviewed um, Augustine Canapino last week, who's got a really amazing backstory. Obviously, um, you know, Stephen Wilson, who's got a really amazing backstory. Um, and I think a crowd favorite is probably like a Connor Daly, just because of, you know, he's kind of bombastic and, you know, um, you know, his backstory at the IMS. So I think it's those kind of stories that um, that we're also going to tell that are, are – have caught my eye um, in just being really kind of fun fan, you know, fun for a, a fan, obviously, that doesn't know the diehard, you know, as much as the diehard, um, you know, the average viewer. And then, obviously, you have, like, the Tony Kanans of the world, uh, who's uh, who's obviously retiring. That's a story that we're going to tell. Um, and then the legendary, you know, the legendary families of, of the Andrettis, the Penskis, um, you know, Chip Ganassi. So we're kind of covering the gamut from, the obvious kind of winners, top, uh, you know, top teams historically, and then kind of emerging, you know, emerging stories, Catherine Legg, who's going to race uh, in the 500. So, you know, kind of and new and kind of emerging stories as well as the, uh, you know, obviously as the historical. All right, a couple of quick things and we'll let you go. And obviously, you know, I, it, we, so much of this has been compared to Drive to Survive in Formula One. This maybe be more of a comparison to Hard Knocks, which is obviously just here for an in-season edition uh, at, at the tail end of the 2021 Colts season. Um, how much of this is stuff, I, w- I don't want to say it's already in the can, but kind of feature-driven and say, hey, this person's going to be in episode one, this is an episode two, but knowing that it's a very active month locally as this show is going to continue to progress – how much of Grand Prix weekend and qualifications are you trying to work into episodes as we get closer to race day? Yeah, so agree totally. It's way more the 24 um, 7 uh, hard knocks uh, format where basically we're shooting and it's going into edit, you know, the day, the, the, the you know, the day, right. two day, three days after. It's going right into that episode. So we kind of let. We have to, you know, we had some pre-production about, obviously, before the race started about who and how things might work out. But we are really letting, we're letting some of the results um, guide us now, just as things kind of shake out about 
you know, who's maybe doing well, who's middle of the pack, who may be struggling. And then, um, you know, we kind of let that be our North Star a little bit for the middle and latter episodes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, basically everything you're seeing is we are filming that week at the races. And then, obviously, all of April and, and, and May, whatever we're filming is, is essentially turning around for um, the latter episodes, episode four, five, and six um, in the series. All right, before we let you go, first one debuts next Thursday. What do you want our listeners to know about episode number one? Uh, episode one is it's phenomenal. It's um, you know it's a look at the like I said earlier. It's kind of a look at the at the at the bigger, more historical teams right off the bat, just to kind of set the stage uh, for the season and, and give the viewer an idea of of who we're following and how we're doing it. Um, but uh, I think as the as the diehard fans know, the first race of the season was was pretty wild uh so you'll you'll definitely get the sense of that in the episode and then you'll also get a sense of uh, a really good look at some of the drivers off the track i think so it gives um like i said earlier it gives it gives everyone a, a taste of everything the heart pounding action and then also kind of the peek behind the curtain of of these uh rock star drivers pat i'm sure I, our paths will cross at some point in time during the month of may at 16th in georgetown congratulations uh, on uh, this journey getting ready to really uh begin in terms of what the the public is seeing from the finished product know you put in hundreds if not thousands of hours of work into it already and thanks for the time and the conversation today. i greatly appreciate it of course thank you guys can't wait for everyone to see the show you got it again pat diamond uh, from vice media again cw next thursday night vice as well to watch 100 days to indy and if that show hits the way that you expect it to frankly i made the hard knocks reference and then he immediately kind of agreed with that you would hear, you know, my voice, John's voice, Kevin Bowen's voice, etc. Jake as well on Hard Knocks when it was running uh, via HBO late in 2021. I don't bring that up to, you know, the, the self-high five, so to speak. But I bring that up because we'll frankly talk about it here. Because if the show pops and the show resonates, then frankly, you'll want to talk about it in forums like this one which is exactly why you have a show like that in the first place. Thank you, Pat, for joining us. If you've missed anything in the conversation, podcast available soon, 1075thefan.com. Something in that conversation catch your attention or simply want to talk IndyCar if you're in the mood, 317-239-1070. If not, I'll go back to the Draymond Green conversation. Michael Grady joins us at 1. Again, you can join us on the phone lines or Twitter or email right now. It's Greg Rakestraw, Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Thanks to Pat Diamond of Vice for joining us on the show. 100 Days to Indy debuts next Thursday locally on Wish TV. You want to talk a little IndyCar, talk about our topic of conversation, feel free, 317-239-1070. We can certainly take the show in another direction as well. In my often long and winding and rambling um, opening 25 minutes of the show, I built up to talking about Kings and Warriors and then ran out of time to get to the most important part. I basically, in case you just joined us, in a 
10-second span, I was able to say, hey, Draymond Green's a guy that you want on your team, and Draymond Green's a jackass, and said that both those things can be true. So if you need to catch up to the conversation from segment number one, there you go. Now you're caught up. So last night, he has kind of the the latest... <sighs> The, the latest in a long history of things that are just cringeworthy, yet some would say make you watch. And I try not to say, this is what's wrong with the NBA. No, no. I think the NBA is in, in a good place. I think there's a lot of guys that are very likable. A lot of numbers being put up. Um, and ratings aren't that great. So I'm 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 not trying to be that guy that says this is why I don't watch. I'm, no, I'm I'm not trying to be that guy. Um, but the, my first reaction in watching that play out, I'm just like, really, again? I mean, dude's not going to change what he does. It's what's gotten him to this point. It's what's gotten him to multiple championships. It's what's gotten him to being a much-needed piece on that team. I mean, you've got Curry that can light it up. You've got Thompson through injuries that can light it up. Somebody's got to be the guy that does the little things. Somebody's got to be the guy that does the dirty work, and that is that guy. So it's now the question of, okay, where do you find that line? I mean, this was probably I mean the easiest way to 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 compare it in case you haven't seen it and my guess would be that you have even if you weren't watching live after midnight last night you've seen it on ESPN you've seen it on social media you've seen the stump and the easiest comparison that I can immediately think of would be Christian Leitner on Aminu Timberlake, 1992, Elite Eight game, one of the best college basketball games ever played, simply known as The Shot by Christian Leitner. Problem is, Leitner probably shouldn't have been in the game at that time because he should have been ejected for stepping on Aminu Timberlake completely unnecessarily. And to the NBA's credit, the difference in having... um, replay and review versus not having it 31 years ago for all the things where we rightly gripe moan complain about too many replays and replay taking too long in this case once they reviewed it it was a technical foul for grabbing the leg of green by sabonis legit flagrant to ejection for draymond green for unnecessarily stepping, maybe stomping's a bit too strong, but stepping on the chest or gut, whatever the case may be, of Demonis Sabonis. Now, what, again, to some would be, I wouldn't say great, but part of the secret sauce of human emotion that gets you to want to watch, a.k.a. if there's going to be a good guy, there needs to be a bad guy, I thought just as bad as the step on Sabonis was then he wasn't going into the crowd, but he was clearly hamming up the response from the crowd, was feeding off of the response from the crowd and encouraging that. 
And that's where you start to get into a safety issue. And that's where all of our experience with the brawl in 2004 immediately comes to mind. Now, in that scenario, security quickly got there to ensure that Draymond Green wasn't going into the stands, which he never was going to do because he's very calculated and stuff like this. But more importantly, to make sure some drunk didn't try to come down onto the floor and get a little closer face to face. Something that obviously was missing back on November of nineteen nine or November of two thousand four. Um, but part of me, part of me is like, dude, it's just like, like he's a story that we should want to respect. Second round pick has find has found a way to make himself relevant, important, a key cog in a multi-time championship team that frankly has revolutionized the way the game has been played. Okay. It should be a largely positive story about Draymond Green. Yet when you think of him, you think of him kicking LeBron James and altering, you know, they've won multiple championships, probably would have won one more without that one in 2016 and was last night on as big of a stage or as bad as that no but it's just kind of the latest installment of really with Draymond Green like is that necessary need to do that and again for some they're saying yes you need to do that because that's what makes people like me talk about the game 12 hours later As I'm watching, I'm like, dude, I've seen this script before. I've seen enough of that. That's what what makes me want to root for these. I'd be rooting for the Sacramento Kings anyway, just because, you know, you, you do something successfully for a long enough time, we're going to tend to root against you anyway. And we've hit that point years ago for the Golden State Warriors. But now with that, you give me even more of a reason to root for the Sacramento Kings in that series, let alone the fact that you've got a former Pacer playing in that game or the fact you've got a former Indiana Mr. Basketball playing in that game as well in terms of Trey Lyles, who to age all of us is now in his eighth NBA season. Another completely different type of really when I say something like that. So that series, now like all of them the first round do, give them a couple, three days, they will get back at it. Um, not tonight, but a but tomorrow night, the series featuring the Minnesota Timberwolves will get back underway. And the man that will have the television call, I'm assuming, back to Minneapolis, well, he's a guy that used to sit in this very chair from 10 to noon uh, every Monday through Friday. That would be Michael Grady. He's going to join the program, apparently for a second day in a row. After that, Dominic Miranda, new reporter of Channel 13, Mike Chappell, formerly of the Indianapolis Star, these days of CBS 4 and Fox 59, the dean who will be entering his 40th year of covering the Indianapolis Colts. Sure, I'll ask him about that coming up later in the show. And the second first-round pick of the Indiana Fever, the seventh overall pick, and, of course, already a local legend. But the 
to me, the ties of Aaliyah Boston and Grace Berger to Tamika Catchings and Katie Douglas are impossible to ignore. Grace Berger will be joining us coming up a little bit later on in the program. Greg Rakestraw, Jimmy Cook, and you when you feel like joining the show at 317-239-1070. On Twitter, at Greg Rakestraw. Email the show, greg at 1070thefan.com. Michael Grady joins us next. Fan Midday Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, Jimmy, did I get the memo? This is supposed to be Mark Morrison, Return of the Mac. That is supposed to be what plays. Michael Grady, onto the program. I would assume your musical tastes on that song have not changed since you left Indianapolis, my friend. Not one bit. Not one bit, brother. <laughs> it is good to have you back on the show, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. Good to hear your voice. Good to chat with you a bit, Greg. All right. So, um, first, obviously, you've been on the NBA grind now for a few years, whether it's Pacers PA, whether it's Nets pre-half and post. But to be the voice of a team, it's obviously a dream. What's the experience been like so far? Uh, from a storytelling standpoint, it's been it's been terrific. Um, you know, the last thing you want is boring. And uh, this Timberwolves squad with the Gobert situation, uh, Towns injury, Anthony Edwards emerging, you know, as just a young 21-year-old as an all-star, uh, right down to game number 82 with Gobert punching Kyle Anderson <laughs> in the chest and McDaniels punching a wall and break, breaking his hand. Um, it's just been drama filled and again from a storytelling standpoint it's been um it's been fun it's just it's what i've you know wanted to do from you know junior year of high school at warren central and so to have this opportunity man it's uh it feel really blessed and and in judging by facebook photos it looks like you found a new best friend in jim peterson yeah <laughs> well your partner better be your best friend you know you, you're working together for 82 games you're flying on the plane together you're having dinner, you're traveling, all this stuff. And um, uh, that that relationship was is an important one when you talk about play-by-play and color and um, the way that he uh, and his family welcomed me and mine um, coming to Minnesota after he had worked with his previous partner for 10 years. He's been with the organization for 25 years. Just a terrific guy, terrific guy. So, um so no, that that, that friendship is uh, genuine. That's my guy, and uh, we've been we've been having fun all season. You talk about the family. Obviously, that required a move from Brooklyn to the Twin Cities. How are they liking uh, life up in the north? Well, my stepson is a, is a senior in high school. He's wrapping up his senior year, so they remained in the New York area okay. while he wrapped up his senior year. Didn't want to displace him. Of course, so doing the. They've been doing the flying back and forth thing all season, meeting me in Minneapolis sometimes, meeting me in other cities other times. Um, he had a spring break last week, so he was able to be able to go to the playing games, and they'll be back this weekend for games three and four in Minneapolis. So, uh, so it's been um, a lot of um, frequent flyer miles taking advantage of that during the <laughs> during the season, but it's been it's been great. They must love you because if somebody says spring break and you say Minnesota and they say yes, I think they like you, MG. Yeah. <laughs> well, they got lucky because it was in the 70s all week. <laughs> um, and prior to that, we had a blizzard. So uh, so he absolutely uh, lucked out uh, weather-wise. And, um, but, no, it was fun. It was fun. Baseball 
in full swing. So we caught a Twins game, Minnesota Wild getting getting ready for the playoffs. Caught one of their games. It was a it was a good week. And then of course the Timberwolves won that playing game and, and the last game of the regular season um, that he was able to go to. So it's been uh, it's been adventurous uh, to say the least. And um, I'm 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 excited about riding this playoff wave, whether it lasts three more games, five more games, who knows. And then uh, looking forward to getting into hibernation a little bit after the season. All right, not to go all chance the rapper on you, but when somebody said, let's do that hockey, Michael just said yes and went and checked out a wild yeah. game. Did make sure that, 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 that did not fly by me when you said that, my friend. Yeah, that's right. That was, the, that was my first wild game. I think it was the last regular season game. I, I did catch the ending of the game last night, beating Dallas in double overtime. I'm not a hockey aficionado or anything like that, but I love great sports atmospheres. And um, uh, they get down. They get down with Minnesota. That's a that's a, a thing. In the same way that well, we have basketball right. day, and uh, you know they have hockey day. Um, we have pickup basketball. Um, they have pickup hockey. Mm-hmm. Just uh, just a way of life, <laughs> a way of life out there. And uh, so yeah, I'm getting I'm getting fully indoctrinated into everything. We're gonna have this conversation a year from now. Mike's gonna talk about his favorite ice fishing spot. Michael Grady joining us here on, on the Fan Midday Show. <laughs> Done that. <laughs> uh, I told you, ninety three five and, and one zero seven five. The fan. And in case you are missing home, here at the midway point of the season, here comes Mike Conley Jr. onto the Timberwolves roster. How much do you guys kind of talk about Indianapolis when you have the opportunity? Well, you know, the crazy thing, um, I covered him at Lawrence North right. um, uh, when he was with Greg Oden and winning all those state championships. But I was just some young, you know, kid figuring stuff out and just enjoying watching great basketball and never had the opportunity to meet him. And then his time, you know, with the, with the Grizzlies and all of his different stops, I hadn't had an opportunity to stop him and chat with him and say, hey, I covered you in high school uh, until he joined the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that, that, so that was pretty, pretty wild that I had been following his career and have watched him closely since he was 17, 18 years old. And here he is, 35 years old. I'm knocking on the door of 40, and we're having a face-to-face conversation for the first time. So, um, so it's, it, was, it was pretty wild. Um, he is, he's one of the great guys uh, in the NBA. One of the yep. great guys, period. But um, what he has brought to Minnesota uh, as a calming presence, as you can't have enough adults in the room, um, it, it, it's he, he's been a godsend for the coaching staff and for his teammates. And in a short amount of time, um, he's, he's added quite a bit of, even though there's still chaos, don't get me wrong, um, but he's, he's, he's just added, a, a, like I said before, a calming presence to this group and and uh, we did have an opportunity to conversate and, and um, reflect on the times at Lawrence North and just how great that era was for Indiana high school basketball with, you know, Eric Gordon and Jeff Teague and Josh McRoberts. And I know I'm going to leave off names, but um, it was just a great time with tremendous basketball. And um, and he definitely wears that with a, like a badge of honor. Now, before we get to, you know, game one and playoff matchup, et, et, et cetera, with you, uh, I'll, I'll I'll work in some breaking news. It's not all that breaking. It's what he should be doing. But because of whom you watch play together on a regular basis, I think you're uniquely qualified to ask about this. So Zach Eady, just a few minutes ago, said he is putting his name into the NBA draft, but is not going to sign with an agent. He'll retain his college eligibility. And so there is a big debate as to, obviously, is his next step the NBA? Is he back at Purdue for one more season as the defending National Player of the Year? 
as a guy that watches Freddie two games, kind of a double post or two of the best bigs in the game in terms of Towns and Gobert, I know you don't watch Edie the way you would have in your old job a couple of stops ago, but how do you see his game translating to the NBA as a guy that sees two of the better posts in the league on a nightly basis? You know, I think that there's there's certainly a place for him. I think if he wants an opportunity to get that bad taste out of his mouth, obviously, from the the shocker in the NCAA tournament, you know, I'd be all for him going back. And the game has changed from an NIL standpoint, so you can still you can still make some make some loot, um, try to have some success, um, you know, one more time at Purdue, and I, I'd be all for it. But you know, at the next level, I think I think there's absolutely a place for him. I know that there's you know, we talk about the game being, you know, having stretch bigs and different things like that. But if you're a, a big man that can um, affect shots, um, uh, can have the ability to hold your own when defending multiple positions and can knock down a, a high percentage of your looks from point blank range, which seems like a no brainer when you're a seven footer. But I think folks would be surprised how many big men uh-huh. don't shoot a great percentage around the rim. Um, then there's a place for you. Uh, you don't have to be a stretch five to be an automatic guy in the NBA these days, even though we see a lot of small ball lineups. Uh, Walker Kessler is going to be in the conversation for rookie of the year. He may finish third in voting, but he had a great year for the Utah Jazz, and I don't know that he took very many shots outside the paint. Um, he was affecting shots, blocking a lot of shots, and um, uh, so I think, I think he's going the right route in terms of uh, not hiring agents, see how he does at workouts, see how he matches up with other guys and then make a decision on whether or not if he waits and holds out and comes out next year, you know, is he going to improve his stock by doing so as opposed to doing it now when he's coming off, you know, being the national player of the year. Uh, And then you also have to look at how deep the draft is too. You have to take that into consideration as well. But just to answer your question on talent alone, there's definitely a place for him in the league. Not that his voice needs an introduction on this radio station, but to do the professional radio thing. That's Michael Grady that is joining me. Greg Rakestraw, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So 109.80 in game number one. Because you're the eighth seed, because your goal is to get one of two, is it pretty easy just to kind of push that one aside and, and, and focus on game number two for this team? Yeah, I mean, they could have lost by 60 points. And, you know, the adults in the room, as I mentioned with Mike Conley and Kyle Anderson before, they'll tell you it's still just one game. So you can't – the key is not overreacting. Um, And you take into consideration what happened in game one. You you watch film. And you come into game two with a completely different attitude. And, uh, you know, the Nuggets – I've had this conversation multiple times over the last few days, especially here in Denver – from a national perspective, from a casual basketball fan perspective, Denver is one of the least talked about <laughs> Western Conference contenders. And if you look at the eight playoff teams, Minnesota is probably the only squad that's talked about less frequently than Denver. That alone is bulletin board material. People talk about the Lakers. They talk about Golden State. Sacramento's been a darling this season. Phoenix has Kevin Durant. The Clippers have Kawhi Leonard. And there is still an L.A. squad. And nobody talks about the Nuggets. (laughs) Again, that's bulletin board material. That is something where you want to make a statement. They haven't played a meaningful basketball game in about three weeks. They had the past week off while the planned games were taking place. Meanwhile, the Timberwolves had a high-intense matchup with the Lakers on Tuesday. 
got a big victory over Oklahoma City on Friday, flew out to mile high in the altitude on Saturday, and then played a game Sunday evening where they were pounded by a Denver team that clearly is on a mission and wanted to send a statement, not just to the Timberwolves, but to the rest of the NBA. Now, if you're the Timberwolves, you lick your wounds, you have two days off, and then you show up on Wednesday with a completely different attitude. They couldn't hit shots. They really struggled from the floor. They couldn't get back in transition. They looked gassed in that ball game. So you have a couple of days, again, to get acclimated, watch film, again, come in with a completely different attitude, play with force, match Denver's physicality. The game still may end in a loss. But we're not going to see a 29-point beatdown again, I don't believe. Because there was this remarkable pack of teams from like 4 through 12 in the Western Conference, is is just making the playoffs, is that still a good year for the Timberwolves? I, I know in looking yeah. at like the salary cap numbers, frankly, likely as this group is constructed, unless there's a major move is what they're going to look like next year. There's rarely pressure on an 8 versus a 1, What's the outlook for this team if if something surprising doesn't happen? If this is the end of the road for the T Wolves, you just you just you just had to make the playoffs. I mean, there was a, there was a collective exhale when they made the postseason. Um, Carl Anthony Towns was out of the lineup for 52 of 32 games because of that calf injury. So you definitely were shorthanded there. Um, and then you watch, we all watched Anthony Edwards take his game to an entirely different level and help carry the team and put them right there in contention for a play-in spot eventually le- leading to the playoffs. So when I see what the Timberwolves did in fighting, even though there were disappointing losses down the stretch and, and over the course of the season, when I see the fact that they punched their ticket to the postseason, meanwhile the Dallas Mavericks with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving did not make the playoffs, that alone is a reason to exhale. Um, that said, the big question mark this offseason for the Timberwolves, you can't take the Gobert trade back, but the big question mark is, did you get enough of a sample size with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns to make a firm decision that you want to keep this thing going? Or do you make a move and deal someone like Towns, for example, to try to get some assets back that you may have given up in the, in the Gobert deal? Um, that's what a lot of people are talking about. We'll see what happens. Um, I think the Towns has an opportunity. He didn't play well in game one. He has played well down the stretch of the season. He has an opportunity to make a statement and send a message uh, to everyone that, that this can work. Um, he certainly wants to be here. He loves Minnesota, and I think that's a huge, <laughs> a huge bonus, a huge plus to have a superstar who wants to be in that market, who wants to continue to be there and do special things there. Um, but they're in a, a tough position when, and just about how you get better, you know, without the draft picks, without so many assets. Um, it'll be ve- a very interesting offseason uh, for Minnesota. A couple quick things before we let you go. Uh, obviously, you're busy. You're traveling. You've got a family. How close to tabs are you keeping on the Pacers and Colts and all things Indianapolis sports these days? Yeah, you know, um, uh, both. I, I, I made my way out to um, U.S. Bank uh, to watch Colts and Vikings, and uh, that was devastating. I was going to say, I hope and, you left at uh, halftime. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to continue to see the beatdown <laughs> continue, and I saw something different. Uh-huh. Um, so, no, I definitely keep tabs, and it was great to get down and down on the field and see everybody. And, um, and yeah, definitely still watching the Colts. And, 
closely monitoring what they're doing with the quarterback situation. Uh, the Pacers, it was just a joy to watch um, them bring the fun back. Um, I, 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 I can't speak for everyone, but just from a distance, it just didn't look like it had been much fun the past few years. And um, this season, it just seemed like the fun was back. Uh, the competitive energy was back. You know, you, you know, you don't make the postseason, but um, I just feel like they captured the imagination of the fan base again, got the fan base excited in terms of the potential and what we could see, you know, in the future. Um, and so that was really, that was really great to see. Um, I was happy to see the, uh, even though he's been a lightning rod conversation topic, but, you know, Miles Turner find a comfort zone and get locked in to, uh, Halliburton and what he's been able to do with the franchise and the love that he's been getting and being an all-star. And um, I was all over that, you know, bleep Wally Zerbiak stuff when that whole thing was going <laughs> down. Like I, 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 I just, I love it. And um, I'm excited to see uh, what they continue to do in the future in the future to build a playoff squad. All right, if I asked you at all you missed about Indianapolis, we'd be here for a long time because you love your new gig, love your new hometown, but I know this is always home and the roots will always be solid for you here yeah. in Indianapolis. If I could send you like one meal, like a taste of Indianapolis up to the Twin Cities, what am I sending your way? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Oh, man. Um you know, shrimp cocktail for sure um, uh, from St. Elmo's. Oh, I, I always stop into Mesh on Mass. Um, and, oh, my goodness. I, I, I think it's the Cunningham Group. I love all of their spots. I, I, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. Now, you you I, realize I, we, start the, with the shrimp, we start with the shrimp cocktail and we just go from there. I was going to say, you realize now that you're in a spot where you could probably, because I'm sure you have a bunch of these just lying around, you know, framed eight by tens of yourself and sign them. But now you have reached that wall of fame status at St. Elmo's, where if you send one of those to Bryn Jones, A, he puts it up, and he probably gives you the Jim Nance treatment and sends you some shrimp cocktail on dry ice, Augusta style, the way Jim Nance would like it. I think you've hit that level there, MG. I, don't, I, 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 I won't believe it until I see it. Um, but that would be that would be a big time moment for your boy. That would be. <laughs> All right, I'm firing off the email to Bryn as we speak. Um, my friend, I'm so happy for you. Thanks for making time for this show for a second day in a row for a second different host. Enjoy some downtime in Denver, and we'll catch up off the air real soon, man. So happy for you, buddy. Anytime, my brother. Anytime. Appreciate you, Ray. You got it. Michael Grady, again, joining us on the Unnamed Guest List Hotline. Thanks, MG, for being on the program. Uh, James, what from an NBA playoff standpoint, since we got a few minutes before we get to our next time out, from an NBA playoff standpoint, what would you like to talk about? What has your attention on the NBA playoffs? You already hit on the big storyline from last night, which is Draymond Green and Sabonis and whether or not Pacers fans should have that poll uh, in terms of should they feel jealous of the success Sabonis is having or should they be happy for him? Uh, The only thing we haven't hit on that I'm fascinated by is the reports came out that with Memphis star guard John Morant that there's no breaks or anything in his wrist, but it's going to be a pain tolerance management at this point. Right. His status very much up in the air for Wednesday's game two. Uh, that was one of those series I thought could go six or seven games, not saying it still can't, but it's clear that without Ja, not just from a viewership standpoint and excitement standpoint, but it loses a bit of the bite that that series would have had otherwise if he's not able to go. And man, the Grizzlies are a team that, that I should like 
and they keep doing things to make you not like them. And obviously, Ja Morant leads of that group. But Jaron Jackson Jr. from Indianapolis, Park Tudor School through his junior year, named the NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Desmond Bain, the pride of Seton Catholic High School, and then TCU. John Conchar. Now, I'm going to have to talk with the folks at uh, ESPN.com because I'm literally scrolling through the Memphis Grizzlies roster. And apparently because John is the only IPFW when he played, now Purdue-Fort Wayne player, to play in the NBA. Like, if you literally go to the ESPN.com Memphis Grizzlies roster and you start scrolling up and down, every player's alma mater is listed next to their name except for Conchar. It's a dash. The only logical explanation I can think of is it listed IPFW at one point in time. And technically, that's not a school. It's now Purdue, Fort Wayne. So next to Conchar, it just lists 65210 dash and how much money he makes. So John's probably not too concerned because the money that he makes. But still, it'd be nice to Purdue, Fort Wayne to get a little love. Disrespectful. And of course, Jake LaRavia, Lawrence Central, Indiana State, although he finished at Wake Forest. So there's a lot of reasons that you would like to be able to celebrate the Memphis Grizzlies. And, man, they have turned into the bad guy of their own fault very quickly. I mean, again, you would think that most, not all, when you're playing the Lakers, you go, let's see the underdog win. That's not the way a lot of people work. It's the way that my mind works. Remarkably, the Grizz is the two seed, now seemingly are the underdog. And still they're so unlikable, you can't root for them. There's also one other storyline, and I, maybe I should have let off with this one. I forgot about it. I saw it this morning. I'll repeat it now. Tonight, it's Suns-Clippers game two. Yep. The Suns are trying to avoid falling into an 0-2 hole, losing both games at home. Yep. Scott Foster yeah, is the, the head official. The, the, the anti-Chris Chris Paul, Paul, yeah. Chris, yeah. Scott Foster. Chris Paul has lost his last 14 straight playoff games. Yikes. That Scott Foster has been the head official for. Do you think that was like some sort of like that, that like progressive insured that like Scott Foster? That way, you know, the State Farm ads wouldn't get the same amount of run with Chris not being in the playoffs. Like Geico jumped in there to ensure that Scott Foster was refereeing his game. This was a sponsor-driven thing. Insurance I, I, game's a dangerous game. It I, is. I, I oh, that's why you have insurance. Um, I acknowledge. Like the even even though they all like were around five hundred this year. Like the Kings, again, the Kings went from not being in the playoffs for 17 years to being the number three seed, and they were the champions of their division. I think they won like 48 games. It's a great story, but it also says there was a lot of mediocre in the West this year. Frankly, I wouldn't say there's a lot of sandbag in the West, but you got a lot of veteran players that have been there, done that. Obviously, the Suns make this huge trade to go get Kevin Durant. A lot of teams in the West are like, hey, uh, we seem to be in the top six, preferably, But if that doesn't work, let's just make the top 10 because, frankly, we don't care until you get to right about now. So, like, the records don't wow you, but the talent does. But I find myself having a hard time finding teams to root for in the Western Conference. Like, I've I've, I've seen this stuff from the Warriors for years. I'm good. Grizzlies and Lakers. I want to root for the Grizzlies, but they don't let you root for them. The Lakers... Nah, no. <laughs> no. Good. We're, thank you. Suns and Clippers? Meh. 
Obviously, um, you know, we're not exactly fans of playoff P. You know, there, there, there's not that 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 struggle of I should be running for Demonis Sabonis, but but I'm a little jealous. That discussion never gets past the infancy stage in terms of Paul George. Go Suns. Um, and so you want to rip the Timberwolves for Grady. Nuggets, the unheralded number one seed. It's like a couple of teams I can get behind in the Western Conference. The Grizzlies should be one of those teams, but clearly they are not. So that is a quick thought as to what the playoffs will look like in terms of the uh, schedule as it is concerned. Uh, you've got two Eastern Conference games today. Knicks Cavaliers should be a great series, by far the best in the East. That's game two. Celtics and Hawks, game two. That is today as well. Grizzlies and Lakers, that is tomorrow. Suns and Clippers, that is today. So three games on the docket on the NBA playoff calendar. If you are inclined, we'll take this quick time out. We'll introduce to somebody new to some of you to most of you you're going to see him on your television screens a lot coming up the next few weeks we'll introduce you to him next his name is dominic miranda and he used to work in this very building back in a moment greg rakestraw with you 93.51075 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy Cook on the ones and twos. He'll make you some money coming up in the last segment of the show. Uh, in podcast form, Pat Diamond, who is the director slash producer of the upcoming 100 Days to Indie docu-series, Thank you for that, Jay Cook, earlier when I needed that. I'm like, it's not a reality show. It's it's not a documentary. He goes, uh, it's docu-series, old man. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Michael Grady as well. He, of course, of we knew him back when. He was simply a talk show host here at uh, 1070 The Fan. Maybe you can say the same thing a few years from now about Dominic Miranda. You might be saying, who's he? No, the, the rights thing, in case you get arrested, are not named after him. Um, again, he's going to be on your television screens here very soon, if he hasn't been already, on WTHR. And because he's a friend of mine, I thought this might be a wonderful kind of get-to-know-you segment, and his agent has already given me extra money as we speak. Hello, my friend. How are you? Greg, it is great to hear from you. I had a feeling you were going to do something like this when I heard you were going to host the show and i couldn't be more happy to be with you and uh hopefully we can see each other here soon now that i'm in town well you, you know i'm much better looking over the phone uh as you well know but yes we, we will schedule a a, a soiree of, of some form and fashion um what year did you intern here at the fan because you know things are starting to run together in my head at this point it would have been the summer of 2016 okay so Years ago, if you can believe it. And I know previous stops in Terre Haute and Tallahassee. I know you've been looking to get closer to home. Uh, this opportunity is kind of a once-in-a-lifetime shot. Officially, how many days into your tenure with Tegna are you at this point? This is day seven. <laughs> day seven. So kind of drinking through a fire hose right now. But I know, like you said, I've been loving every second of it, man. This is a whole different animal. Uh, loved my time in Terre Haute, loved my time in the Sunshine State. But like you said, this was 
something I couldn't pass up, and I'm just I'm pumped up to be here, no doubt about it. All right, what have been the stories? I'm sure there's been some anchoring for you or some weekend anchoring at some point in time, but a lot of, frankly, at Channel 13, what you're doing is as much feature reporting uh, as it is anchoring at this point. What are the stories that you have been doing uh, one week in the new gig? Well, one week has been a lot of training, uh, a lot of training, a lot of meeting people, different PR people, you know. When you your coworker is the mayor of Indianapolis, Dave Calabro, <laughs> which he says hello, by the way, uh, you get to meet a lot of people and you get a lot of access you wouldn't otherwise get. So that's what basically the first week was all about. Did a nice little intro last Wednesday at the Colts Complex as they started their offseason program. Today, big stuff today was Grace Berger getting introduced to the Indiana Fever. So that will be on at 620. Shameless plug. I got to learn the tricks of the trade that Greg Straw taught me. So there you go. 620 WTHR tonight, Grace Berger. So that's kind of what we're looking at. It's going to be a lot of draft. I'll actually be heading to the draft with the crew next week around Wednesday. Well, that'll be the big thing. And then it's May Madness. And I cannot wait to be immersed in the Indianapolis 500. Everyone's been telling me we're going to be running around with our heads cut off. It's going to be crazy, but I'm so excited to cover that race. The only piece of advice that I gave Dom upon getting this job was you work for the station that has the race you had better be studying IndyCar like going back and like watching tape of like every event that took place last year so how is your IndyCar indoctrination going so far it's ongoing it's ongoing and it's evolving because yes that's exact that was order of business number one and by the way greg gave me a lot more advice (laughs) okay that's the one bit of advice i hope you paid attention to how about that okay (laughs) yeah okay we'll agree on that but greg's been great so just want to tell everybody greg is the best and wouldn't have this job if it wouldn't be for him so big thank you to you but yes i'm getting myself immersed in the racing culture it is awesome i'm excited to keep learning more but certainly wasn't my strong suit but i promise you this by may it will be so we'll we'll get there now i'm gonna i'm gonna backtrack a little bit because I've, i missed the chance to tell a joke and you never pass that up when you're you know doing your own radio show so um in terms of the things you have lost from or not lost learned from dave calabro so far what sort of hair tips has he given you in in seven days on the job the hair tip yes man because because he's been rocking that for you know longer than 30 years in this market you're not follically challenged the way that I am so maybe you can help me out you know some some lessons for the masses here what sort of hair care products does he use you know has has he passed that wisdom on to you yet not yet I think he just wakes up that way it's so glorious. I'm not sure it needs any work I mean man when you're Dave Calabro what what need you say more but I'm trying to learn the tricks of the trade, and the hair piece is definitely not hair piece, but the hair part of it, I should say. Don't wear hair piece, but hey, we're going to get that down pat, but we'll, we'll get the right barbers to go to and make sure we're, we're looking good for TV because that's, that's what it's all about. All right, last stop on the, on the tour for you before coming to Indianapolis was in Tallahassee. So whether it's from your days of covering the Seminoles at Florida State or the Rattlers, which you also covered too at FAMU at Florida A&M, Give me some tips for the draft. Who are some names that we'll be hearing from guys that you saw play on the college level in your time there? We're going to hear their name coming up the next few days. For Florida State, it's definitely the safety Jamie Robinson. That that guy's closing speed is unlike anything I've seen. He's a super physical defensive back, not afraid to make tackles in the run game. So look out for him. One of the guys I would have said who would have probably been a top 10, if not a top 5 pick, 
was Jared Verse, the defensive end for the Seminoles. He transferred from Albany uh, early on a year ago. And he had a heck of a season. I mean, Mike Norvell is known for the work he's done in the transfer portal. Got Jermaine Johnson the year before that, who transferred from Georgia, ended up going in the first round to the New York Jets. And Jared Verse is a name to look out for because he really surprised a lot of folks coming back to Florida State. And that's why you're going to see Florida State in the top five of a lot of preseason polls and a sneaky contender for the college football playoffs and certainly the ACC title. Really love what Mike Norvell's doing down in Tallahassee. I feel like I came when it was kind of on the ground floor, and I left when they were just about to really burst onto the scene, and you saw that last year. But as far as Florida A&M, Isaiah Land, another edge rusher, 235 of all muscle. He is fast as can be coming off the edge, and he is going to be a Great pickup for whoever gets in. Marquise Bell, who went last year from FAMU as a safety who made the Dallas Cowboys roster, and he's been opening eyes. His first year, he was a raging success, made the roster, and really, really did well for them. But those two guys, Jamie Robinson out of Florida State, Isaiah Land out of Florida A&M, and maybe in the later parts of the draft, Xavier Smith as well, wide receiver, really opened some eyes during the HBCU Showcase. Jamie's got a lot to offer, and credit to Willie Simmons, the head coach down there, man. Started his tenure with only one or two scouts showing up. All 32 teams represented of these last two pro days for FAMU, so really good stuff coming out of the highest of seven hills. All right, a couple quick things, and, and then we'll let you go. Um, you and I would always keep touch with each other in your days in Terre or or uh, as well down in Tallahassee. But the last couple of years, I very specifically got a text or a tweet from you on Monon Bell Day. I'm assuming you ha- – now, are, are, have you told Calabro, hey, I've got this, I'm going to cover this game on November the 11th, or have you told him, hey, listen, I'm back in town, I may not be sober, I'm going to go tailgate, you have to cover the game that day. Have you already had that planning meeting with him? Yeah, those are two good options. I brought that up in the interview process. I was like, look, uh, this is something that is important to me. I didn't even think about the tailgating portion. Maybe I will just pass it off to Calabro and go enjoy being an alum for the day. But that's that's priority number one. It was race and then Monon Bell coverage. We got to dominate it. But I did appreciate Greg Gregstraw giving me a shout-out on the broadcast this year. That's what led me to tweet. I was like, hey, I could get on this, and that's that's good stuff he followed through for me. But Monon Bell, I'm sure our, your listeners know about it. To Paul Wabash, it is a spectacle. I would get there if you haven't already. It's a lot of fun. And then, obviously, the other the part of that too is, hey, I could use three hours of airtime that afternoon on WTHR. You want to kind of grease those wheels? Let know the game kicks off at one oh seven. Like if they could tell Notre Dame to hold off to like a four thirty kick that day, I can put the game on channel thirteen. You know, a guy with the production company that has the the rights of that game would love to have that conversation with you. Finally, I know that you were huge in high school football in terms of your coverage in Terre Haute. The same thing would be said in the Florida Panhandle. Your thoughts about being now a part of Operation Football as Dave's been doing that for the last 30 years. Everybody I talk to, I've I've shared with that I got this job, says, are you going to go up in the chopper with Dave Calabra? (laughs) That's all I hear about. And I was like, Well, the the answer is no, they've sold the chopper. I don't think the drone (laughs) is big enough for you to ride on top of. So you got to settle for the Humvee at this point, I think. I guess so, but, man, everyone knows Operation Football and loves the work that Dave does. Kind of took a step back this year. He was riding solo this past football season, so now with a new partner in crime, we're certainly going to make 
it as big as it was, and I am so excited to be a part of it because you're absolutely right. High school football in Terre Haute, we did a lot with the great Rick Semler. Yep. Hope he's well. And, of course, in the panhandle. And South Georgia high school football is what I will miss the most, aside from the weather. It is as close to Texas as it will get, but I am so pumped to be here in Indianapolis to cover it because there's so much good high school football here and Operation Football. Excited for it, excited to be a part of it because everybody I talk to, man, they can't wait for it. Well, welcome home, my friend. It's great to have this conversation both on the air with you. It's even better to have the conversations off the air with you. I'm happy for you. You'll kill it, and I know I will see you very soon. We'll talk, we'll talk again down the road, all right? Awesome. Greg, you're the best. Thanks for having me on. Excited to see you. You got it. Dominic Miranda, again, uh, you'll watch him on Channel 13. As he said, hey, 620 this evening, he'll have the profile of Grace Berger. Now, not to take away from that, Grace Berger will be joining this program about 50 minutes from now. She is slated for a 2.30 interview on the show. Mike Chappell at 2 o'clock. Nobody. Just me, Jimmy, and you in the next segment of the show. As per usual, I've come prepared with things to talk about. But if you got something you want to say, now's the time. 317-239-1070 at Greg Rakestraw on Twitter. Email the show, Greg at 1070thefan.com. We're back in a moment. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Not to get you to turn the channel and go to another medium here, but we reference off the top of the show one of the things that caught my attention in the other things I wanted to talk about phase of the program today. Damar Hamlin meeting with the media in Buffalo as we speak. He has been medically cleared to resume all football activities. Congratulations to him. And again, you cannot say this enough. Job well done by the medical professionals in Cincinnati and Buffalo that have gotten to this us to this point. That basically 100 days after his heart stopped beating, that he is back able to play in the National Football League. Not cleared by like one doctor, cleared by three different cardiological experts that say, it is okay for you to do this for a living. It is absolutely amazing. In case you're just joining us past the midway point of the show, here's what you have missed so far. Uh, Pat Diamond from Vice. Uh, he is the uh, producer, director, whatever you want to call it, of the upcoming 100 Days to Indy series that will air on both the CW and Vice. Uh, it debuts on the CW on Wish TV locally coming up next Thursday night. And obviously they'll have episodes that will run through and around the Indianapolis 500. Uh, we were joined by MG, Michael Grady these days, of course, the television voice, Minnesota Timberwolves. They are back in action tomorrow night against the one seed out west in the Denver Nuggets. And Dominic Miranda, hopefully enjoyed that conversation. Give him a look-see when he is on Channel 13 coming up a little bit later tonight. Again, Mike Chappell, Grace Berger, coming up in the next segment of the show. Any of those topics strike your fancy? You want to have a chat? Dial us up. Feel free. 317-239-1070. If not, I've got a couple of topics that we haven't discussed on the program today that I will bring up. Now, Jimmy, I made a quick statement about this and basically left no room for debate or discussion last week when I was doing the show. Uh, new rules in Major League Baseball. Me likey. I think you're in agreement. What say you? 
Yes. Good with all new rules. Bases, pitch count, yep. all of it. I enjoy putting my feet up and being done with a baseball game in about two, two and a half. Congregation says amen. There is a there's an there's a league that like was known as like the place where like the um former major leaguers would kind of like go to play before they would get back to the major leagues like years ago, the Atlantic League. That's not officially, I think, like in the single A, double A, triple A hierarchy. It's an independent league. MLB is basically now funding that league as like a test market. Like they are going to try out new rules there. And I think most of you know this by now, but just in case not, the rules that are largely being used in MLB now have been in place in most levels of minor league baseball for the last couple of years. But the Atlantic League is the test kitchen, for lack of a better term. So there are three new rules that when that league begins play next Friday that will get underway. So, Jimmy, feel free to give me a thumbs up, thumbs down on what you like. The Atlantic League this season will have a designated pinch runner. When I call high school baseball and softball, I'm used to a runner being able to re-enter or a courtesy runner that always comes in for the pitcher and catcher. That is often done for pace of play, concern of injuries, etc. But in the Atlantic League, there is a designated pinch runner. Each club gets to list a player who is not in the starting lineup as their DPR. That player can be substituted at any point in the game as a base runner. The player who is substituted for can re-enter without penalty. So basically, if you wanted to have, and, and, I, and I, the, the player's name escapes me, Charlie Finley, Oakland A's in the 70s, had a guy that basically was not going to play in the field, was not going to come to the plate. He was just the track guy they would sub in at some point in the game to steal a base or two and get a guy in a scoring position, and his name has escaped me all these years later. But you can basically have a guy, he's like the freeze in Atlanta. His job is to run, Jimmy. We like, we don't like. Here for it. Okay. I'm not sure if you need to have a DPR. Um, I like the rule in high school. I like the re-entry rule in high school so more kids get a chance to play in the game. That's kind of what it's about. Um, I'm not sure if I like this rule in in professional baseball, but it does lead to, in theory, more runs scored, which tends to be why people are going there. Although, a quickly moving one nothing pitcher's duel, I think it's actually pretty good too. Um, a take off of the rule currently used in Major League Baseball. the They call it a disengagement, but basically you can throw to first base try to pick a guy off twice. If you do it a third time and don't get him, it's treated like a balk, and that guy goes to second base. He basically gets a free pass. In the Atlantic League, you will get one per at bat. I don't know if it's the second one that on that try, if you don't get him, you try to pick him off, he goes to second. Don't know. That's not what is uh, talked about here. But it's one time. We like, we don't like. No, I think we've done enough to the pitchers. I would agree with that. Well, speaking of a rule that affects the pitchers, how about this? In the Atlantic League, they have what they call the double hook DH rule which allows clubs to use designated hitter throughout the game, provided that the club's starting pitcher has completed at least five innings. 
if the starter fails to make it through the fifth, you lose the DH for the rest of the game. And apparently, not that we talk a lot of Atlantic League baseball here, I follow it on Twitter, but apparently that was in place last year. So to use a DH, your starting pitcher has to go five, even if he is getting shellacked. If you want to have the DH in your lineup, the starting pitcher has to go five innings. Jimmy, we like or we dislike? Yeah, I hate that one. Okay. So you had one that you were all for, one you're like, nah, not so much. And the third one you're like, for the love of God, get rid of that one. Is that a, a fair <laughs> yes. summary of those rules? Indeed. So that's the Atlantic League. I'm not sure you care about the Atlantic League. I've got a buddy of mine, and it's not the Atlantic League. I think they're in the American Association. I've got a buddy of mine that is now the radio voice of the team in Winnipeg. I'm going to drive to Gary to watch them play their season opener on Thursday, May the 11th. They're not in the Atlantic League. I don't know why I felt like bringing it up. He's going to give me a cool hat. I thought it was nice to bring up. The other thing that I want to get to, and as I'm looking at the clock, I've got two minutes. So I will tease this up and try to get back to it, either at the tail end of the next segment of the show, in case Mike Chaplin and I don't have a 20-minute conversation, which it's entirely possible we will. Or in case Jimmy doesn't give you like 37 plays of the day to try to make you money since now we have both playoff basketball and playoff hockey that you can play. Um, in case there's room at the back end, I'll get more into this. But there are with 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 yes sir you you want to interrupt me yes, whenever sir. my bat phone rings of importance i got to share it uh, eddie white said herb washington was the name thank you, you. i knew it was washington thank you eduardo blanco god bless you i wanted to say ul washington no he was the guy that played with a toothpick in his mouth herb washington thank you eddie much appreciated for the assist on that one thank you sir um in this era of roster fluidity of being able to transfer freely So many of the teams that will be successful in college basketball will be teams that maybe even don't hit the high school recruiting circuit all that often. I was on with JMB the last week week before, and he asked about that, and I said, dude, you're going to have programs that basically stop recruiting high school athletes. They are going to simply recruit guys at the transfer portal. Guys that are looking to upgrade. I bring this up because Butler, and and I'm not sure this is exactly breaking news on any of these guys, but just because the press release was put right in front of me in my email, they've got four transfers coming in. There might be more. Obviously, things had to change at Butler. They were 14 and 18 in Thad Mata's first year. But they have four different transfers now officially on the roster. Pierre Brooks, the second of Michigan State. Jamil, I hope I'm saying his first name right, Telford, uh, who was at Northeastern and uh, was one of the better players in the Colonial Athletic Association last year. They've had others like Landon Moore and Andre Screen. And so you've got one program that's saying, all right, things are not going well. We're going to dial a transfer and see how that plays out. Now, they kind of did that last year, and it didn't click. Will it work this time around? Who knows? But we're going to talk a little bit about that if time allows later in the program. We got to get to a break. Mike Chappell joins us next. It's Greg Rakestraw, Fan Midday Show, 93.5-1075, The Fan. As referenced, this gentleman and I broke bread together on Sunday afternoon. Without even sitting at the same table, 
because he is such a frequent visitor of the Indiana Sports Riders and Sportscasters Association banquet each and every year. In fact, I can set my watch or I get a text about three days out. Hey, what time should I be there on Sunday? Two o'clock, Chappie. Just like our conversation today on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. How are you, my friend? Good. You see, I don't know how to do that thing on my phone where I can set dates and all that. So I just, I've got, I'm sitting here at my desk. I've got, I've got post-it notes. <laughs> I've, got, I've got meetings at certain times because I'm just a Neanderthal. And no, it, it's worked for you for all this, as many years. There don't, don't start, you know, changing now. Uh, obviously you were a fan of everybody involved, but you have, you have ties to a couple of them. I thought our buddy Ambrose speech was fantastic on Sunday. He's great. He, you know, it's just an example of sometimes good things do happen to good people. Yep. He's been put through the ringer uh, at times, and he's just done his work, he, and he's done good work. He's done whatever people have asked at a high level. So good for him. We go back you know, to the star, and I had forgotten, and he mentioned that he, me and him and Phil Richards all took buyouts at the same time. God, what was that, 14, 2014, whatever yeah. it was? And we just had enough. So, yeah, it's it's really pretty cool. Uh, and we st- and he's still working. I'm still working. We get together. We do a tribe game when Robin Miller used to have us get together. We're getting together later this week to sort of remember David Benner. Yeah. The, co- the cool thing about getting together like that is you see guys that you've worked with, and not not just locally, but – you know, Jim Russell was there and, and coming up and I was at Anderson. I'm trying to think where he was. Was he in Greenfield or was he at Newcastle? Newcastle, maybe. So, so we just always run into people. And Rick Bozich. Yep. People locally may not know Rick, but he's one of the nation's better columnists. Worked a long time at Louisville. And he got his start with under me. Yep. I was sports editor at the Anderson Bulletin. And he came and worked with me for like 18 months, and then he went to much, much bigger and better things. Saw Ben Smith there from Fort Wayne, and it's just pretty cool to see these guys. You know, running into you all the time. It's just, it's really a good organization, and you know, it just it, we, we've we've had some really good, really very good media folks come through. Don Fisher with a lifetime achievement thing. I mean. Holy crap, he's been out of you for, is it 50 years? 50. I've been doing this totally for 50 years, starting like in July of 74 when I left the, or I I graduated Ball State and got a job at Anderson. Then they went on strike and I was a janitor at (laughs) Yoko Remy for the summer. But it's it's really, in a way, it's cool to be around guys. And it shows you how long you've been doing this. I mean, Fish has been doing this forever, but it was a quality room, and I enjoy, always enjoy it. Well, to put it in perspective, folks, there was a life before Mike was associated with the Lincoln Indianapolis Colts. He was at the 1976 National Championship game where Indiana completed their perfect season. Chappie was covering the game uh, for the paper in Anderson. I learned that in the documentary that, that I put together now seven years ago. And since we're talking round numbers, it hit me like literally as I say this out loud – um, this is your 40th year that is commencing covering the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, and another round number, 25. It was 25 years ago today that the Colts drafted Peyton Manning. Wow. So, But, no, it was it's 40 years. I mean, yeah. Again, I was still in my last 
days and weeks at Anderson in 70, 84. And the Colts moved here and they needed, you know, somebody to kind of be in Anderson because that was training camp. So I had to help John Bant and been doing it ever since and seen some really, really good and some really, really bad and a lot of stuff in between. So, but 40 years, yeah, it's pretty, uh, you know, I, I, I say things always come up that tell you how old you are. I, I just, I, I keep, I was in Anderson during the, the glory years of basketball. I mean, it was sure, yeah. fantastic. And I, I was there when James Blackman scored like 52 against Troy Lewis and the tournament regional, I think it was. Somebody, I don't know if it was state finals, maybe the state finals. And, and then his, his son broke his record at IU or, or at Marion before going on to IU. So, in all the Lewises, I mean, I covered their dad and Sean Lewis. I, I covered all these guys. But, uh, yeah, when you stick around long enough, you, you see a lot, go through a lot, deal with a lot. You're just kind of glad you get out of bed in the morning. Well, well, can you remember in your years of covering this team a draft where the Colts have been drafting so high where we're still not exactly sure whom they are going to be taking? We kind of have an idea on, on biggest need. That part we've got figured out. But even at four, there's a lot that has to happen in front of them before we kind of have a beat as to what they are going to do. Does this remind you of a, of a previous draft, or is this one pretty much unique? This is kind of unique. There might have been one back with the John Hand days uh, when there were there were thoughts that they were going to get Jim Everett or what, and I, whatever, whatever year that was, late '80s. Yep. But no, I mean in in '90 they get the number one pick and they take Jeff George. Everyone knew they would. In 98 with Manning and number one, and then Luck in, in, in 12. So, no, this one, you, you, when, you, when you're at four, you, just, you don't control things. Um, you know, Carolina took care of that moving up there. So you, this is one where you've got to have, you know, really good intel that you trust on three or four guys. Uh, that's what people were wondering why the Colts went to all these workouts with Stroud and Young and, Levis and Richardson and Hooker. Well, this is why, because you don't know. You just don't know. What, 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 I tell you, what, one thing I, I'm just not buying, and, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, so so now it's that Carolina's going to take Bryce Young and Houston doesn't like the other guy, so they're going to take Willie Anderson and, and the Colts will have a chance to get the, the second-best quarterback. I don't believe for a second Houston doesn't take a quarterback. I just – maybe they don't. But I don't. They got Davis Mills, right? You know, I'd rather have Gardner Minshew. So, so I don't see how they they do that. But this is the time, the last month before the draft. So much BS gets out there and smoke and misinformation. Now, I, I tell you, a team could come out and tell you exactly what they're going to do, and you wouldn't believe them. Uh, so, you know, and, and we're going to talk to Chris Ballard on on Friday. And we're going to get zilch. We're going to get, it'll be great to talk to him. And he's always, you know, fun to go back and forth with, but he's not going to give us any indication and he shouldn't, but no, you're right. This is one of those rare cases when you're top four and you just, you know, do you stay at four? Do you move to three? It'll cost you a couple of really golden picks to move up to three, one spot. Uh, but if you don't move up to one spot, somebody probably will. Right. So that, that's why if you're not moving up, you better be really, really comfortable with a couple guys because if you don't move up, one of them's probably going to be gone. But it's really intriguing. 
And uh, it's funny, I talked to Bill Polian today, just posted something about the 25th year and all that. And, and this this draft isn't, when you rate urgency and importance, this is, that, this is not as important as 98. Sure. Because if they don't hit Peyton Manning, I'm not so sure there's a Colts team still here. Right. I, I, re- I, I really question that. But this is really critical to where this team goes in the next six to eight years as far as being competitive. And so so there is similarities. You know, one thing he pointed out is, you know, this team isn't as bereft of talent as a lot of people think. But it needs a quarterback. I mean, that's just it's the no-brainer thing. You've got to find a quarterback. And that guy can make all the difference. You know, I'm not saying – Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck level. No one's even remotely saying any of these guys are that level of quarterback. But you you can win consistently as long as you get a quarterback at a who's at a certain level. And when it comes time to make plays, he makes plays. Do you see any scenario where the Colts don't take a quarterback at four? Not really. I, I just, I mean. <laughs> You, you, you kind of toss that around and say, well, okay, they don't take one or four, then they're going to take Hendon Hooker later on. I, I, and, I, and I could buy into that, but how do you ensure you're going to get Hendon Hooker later on? How high do you have to move up back into the first round? I, I, It's just the, the need is so dire at quarterback, and virtually everybody agrees that three or four of these guys – might be good enough, and that's all you can do with the draft. They might be good enough. There, there are no – each one of these guys has flaws. And, you know, Bryce Young is not going to get any taller or, or much heavier. So I, I, I just – I think it would be a mistake. I think this is a case where, where the importance of the situation requires they take a swing. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, there's somebody else calling – personnel moves in three or four years so i i just think at some point this this is sort of the best chance they've had as far as position in the draft and and several prospects to take a swing you know the, the owner wants a young guy to develop and this draft gives you the chance to do that if it's quarterback in round one it's what position in round number two the, the needs kind of stick out pretty quickly wide receiver or cornerback maybe you could see a, a, a get even more pass rush uh development but if it's quarterback at round one who is it at round number two in terms of position probably in my mind receiver i would agree from everything you read it's not a a deep receiver class and it's a very deep corner class and i tell you look, look at that roster and the most dire position is corner. They, they, of all the corners, I think there are six or seven under contract. One guy was drafted, you know, Isaiah Rogers in like round six. The rest of them were undrafted free agents. So that that's the most dire position. But if you're going to, you know, go with a young quarterback, doggone, give him, give him guys. Give him, you know, if I'm not mistaken, when they took Manning, didn't they take Jerome Payton? Correct. That year? And E.G. So, Green, both of them. Took e. both e. of them, yep. Yeah. And was that Steve McKinney's year, too, the offensive lineman? I'm getting my years mixed up. I believe so. Fourth round that year was McKinney from they, Texas they A&M. Traded up, 
they created that for like the first pick in the fourth round, or whatever. So you know, you give it. You, you know, and I, and I hate to say that I would let the defense lag a little bit, but you've got to ensure the offense is workable. You know, and I'd find an offensive lineman mid rounds as well. Interior, you need a tackle. You need a tackle to push these guys, which they didn't do last year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think receiver and then corner, but I could see corner before that, and then you know you you add, add a receiver in, th- in in the third round, and then maybe a, an offensive lineman. But they've got needs at a lot of spots. They really do. You know, corner linebacker. Who I'd like to know in the next couple of weeks where <laughs> Shaq Leonard is, right, in his progress because if he's back, this defense has got a chance. If if he's not, you know, it, it's it, it, it's a big hole to fill. So, a lot of questions, and, and you know, a lot of stuff will be asked about Chris Ballard on Friday that he'll give us very good non-answers about. But this is always a fascinating time of year. I tease us up earlier because you and I get to have conversations off the air all the time, but on the air, not as much as we used to. And I realize that, uh, you know, we're about, you know, seven, eight months and probably longer than that from the Hall of Fame process ramping up again. Um, I I guess just your level of disappointment and or surprise that it wasn't Reggie Wayne's time when you guys in that room got together, um, you know, just a, a few months earlier. Not surprised, but disappointed. The problem we're having is that it's Reggie, Andre Johnson, and, and Tory Holt. And I could make a case for all of them. They've all got quality stats and careers. Reggie's numbers are better than all of them because he played longer. You know, and I favor Reggie because I watched him. I mean, I, I watched what he did and, and how he dealt with the transition from Peyton to Andrew Luck by going through Curtis Painter and Orlowski and Kerry Collins and still was top level. The, the, the issue we're having is is how we – these three guys are chewing each other up in the voting process so that no one gets enough votes. You know, ideally, if we could somehow come to an agreement, which we won't because we just won't, you say, okay, this year we're putting in the guy that's waited the longest, that would be Tory Holt. The next year, it's the next guy that's Reggie, and then it's Andre Johnson. That won't happen. But somehow we need to to get this broken. This reminds me a little bit of Marvin, and it still slays me that he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> right. But he had to wait for Andre Reed and Tim Brown because because you wait your turn. So we'll see, and you know, and then we get Freeney's in the room last year. Or I guess it was in you know at the beginning of this year, you know Robert Mathis right. last year I believe it's it's Adam Vinatieri, and I I I, I want to stick around long enough to talk about Adam Vinatieri because <laughs> it should be first ballot right if it's any anybody else who's not a kicker with all the with all the uh, Super Bowls and the points and the you know all that stuff. You say his name and you sit down, but people say, well, he's a kicker. <laughs> well, so it's really interesting. It drives me crazy, but it it, it, it always comes out to a, an interesting process. But boy, I'm running out of material to use for Reggie because it's, he, you know, I keep joking with him. I said, I need another 1,000-yard season, buddy. And, and we're past that, but 
He deserves to be in. I think he gets in. I really do. Freeney, I'm not so sure. Mantis, I'm not so sure. Reggie needs to get in because he, he earned it. I was going to ask you, if, if I said the next Colt to be a Hall of Famer, would it be that shocking if the answer given is Adam Vinatieri? No, it won't. Just because I do think I can talk strong enough and his, his resume is strong enough that he's a first ballot guy. I really do. Uh, and Because I, I just don't know how this Reggie Holt and Andre Johnson thing is going to work itself free. I just I don't know. And until, until we get one guy in, you know, obviously none of them get in, and we got to figure out how to get one in. And, and if it's Andre Johnson first, I'm going to go crazy because he, he needs to wait his turn. He just does. Uh, you know, I'd be okay with Holt going in and then Reggie, but if they put Andre Johnson in before Reggie or Holt, something's wrong. Chappie, as always, enjoy the conversation with you, buddy. If I don't see you out at the uh, training facility tomorrow, I'm sure our paths will cross soon. Take care of yourself, bud. Later. Thanks for calling. You, you got it. Mike Chappell, again, of CBS4 and Fox 59. And always, every time he and I are going to be on the, on the show together, you know, as long as I, like, well, like if we, don't, if we do this like a week from now, I won't bring it back up. But it's like three or four months from now, we'll bring up that conversation. So as you are, you know, able to do these days, you go, huh, I want to find out more about this. Uh, why don't I just look this up? So, Jimmy, here is a list put together by the folks at NBC Sports. And I think by NBC Sports Chicago, um, whom the uh, potential first time Hall of Fame eligible candidates are. Some of these you go, yeah, that guy's getting in. Others, well, it's nice that they were mentioned. So here they are in, uh, I was going to say alphabetical order, but they're not. So here we go Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates, I think he's getting in, Eric Berry, I think he'll get in at some point in time. I'm not sure he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Haloti Nada, again, could get in at some point. Not sure he's a first ballot guy. Brandon Marshall, borderline. Jamal Charles, probably didn't do it long enough. I'm I'm skipping over ooh, one. Ooh, that hurts. Sorry. Um, how'd that, how'd that playoff game? All-time all time leader in yards per carry. In, in 2013, go for him. Uh, Doug Baldwin, no. Jordy Nelson, speaking of kickers, Sebastian Janikowski, and Kyle Williams. Now, I skipped over somebody who will be Hall of Fame eligible in 2024. Let's take a guess as to who I skipped over. No, who? Andrew Luck. (laughs) I'm not starting that conversation now, folks. Just wanted to throw out. We have now hit that point in time where he's been long enough removed from the game where he can enter the Hall of Fame. Yikes. Okay, um, here are those that have been on ballots in previous years that could be eligible to be up for it again. Darren Woodson, Dwight Freeney, Patrick Willis, James Harrison, Rodney Harrison, Jared Allen, Devin Hester, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Steve Smith, Torrey Holt, Heinz Ward, and Quan Bolden. You get the idea there from a wide receiver standpoint. Vince Wilfork, Robert Mathis, Willie Anderson, Albert Lewis. There you go. So just, just some of the names. Now, the final question I will direct your way is this. 
And it's one of those things that, again, you can acknowledge, you can go back and look up, but it hits you and you go, really? You want to guess how many teams, Jimmy, that Dwight Freeney ended up playing for? I'm going to say three. Okay. A little bit more than that. Keep going. Seven. Wasn't that many, (laughs) but it was close. Dwight played for six teams. Now, how many of those can you name? One's pretty obvious. The Colts. Yeah, yeah, you got that one. Yeah, that was the second team he played for, yes. The other ones were oftentimes, I'm going to join a team late because I think I have a chance to play in the Super Bowl. And, And I know at least in one case, if not two, he did play in the Super Bowl. Atlanta? Only, only one correct. That's all I got. Cardinals, Seahawks, and one that would not apply to the Super Bowl conversation, the Lions. <laughs> but those are all the teams that Dwight played for after his uh, what would have been an 11-year run with the Indianapolis Colts. 317-239-1070 is the telephone number. Tweet to me at Greg Rakestraw. Email the show too if you'd like. Greg at 1070thefan.com. We'll take this quick time out. We'll be joined early in the next segment by our fifth and final guest of the day. She is a, uh, well, she's a legend already in terms of college basketball in this state. Now she's trying simply to make a WNBA roster and turn things around for the Indiana Fever. Grace Berger will join us after this quick timeout. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fam. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It is The Fan Midday Show. JMV is going to be in this chair. Well, not this chair. He'll switch it. I've been sitting in it for the last 10 years. I don't want to do that. But he'll be in a different chair on this microphone. How about that? Coming up in about 30 minutes or so. And I'm sure the show is going to be fantastic. Normally, I'm on at 3.30. But because I have been on for the last three hours, I'm not sure that's the case today. Normally, there is a text waiting for me from his producer in James that I have not received today. And I was so concerned. I saw someone that looked like James in the hallway and asked him about being on the show. And I was like, hey, buddy, I'm not James. This is like the second time in the last 48 hours that I have mistaken someone's identity. And that's kind of important for me because my job is to look at somebody and identify them properly on television. Now, normally, I have the benefit of a, you know, a uniform, a number, things like that. But literally on Sunday, I am hosting the National Football Foundation Scholar Athlete Banquet. I look and I think that's Wayne Perry, who's the all-time leading uh, win-getter at Hanover College, Indiana Football Hall of Fame, and it's not. It's Denny Pelly. And then today, I look down and I go, hey, James. Well, that's not James. That's Sam. So perhaps I have finally fried some of the synapses in my brain or it might be time for new glasses. One of the two. With that, let's get to our final guest of the day. It's been a whirlwind day for her. She had a press conference. She had a workout. She's now officially a professional basketball player. And without her knowing, she has a tie to my hometown. It is Grace Berger that joins us now. Grace, my name is Greg Rakestraw. Pleasure to meet you over the phone. How you doing today? 
I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you as well. Look forward to meeting you in person. And here is the tie to my hometown. I'm going to take a wild guess. You can figure out where I'm from here in about 30 seconds. So okay. on my Facebook feed, I've got all these people that I went to high school with that are all of a sudden the last couple of years crazy about IU women's basketball and they take pictures with you whenever they can. Their names are Charles, Dan, occasionally it's Matt. It. I find out that you're related to a bunch of people I went to high school with. What small Indiana town might I be from, Grace? Oh, God. Um, is it New Albany? <laughs> it's close. Go a little farther <laughs> west. I am from Lanesville, and I am friends with all, the Sti- okay. with all the Stilger family that claim you as, like, the best athlete ever in the Stilger family. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's good to hear. Yeah, that's good to hear. Well, first of all, congratulations. I know the last 10 days for you have been just, you know, crazy in the best way possible. So let's start with that. When you hear your name called on WNBA draft night, what was that feeling like for you? Um, I mean, I think, you know, it was definitely like a surreal feeling. There was all kinds of emotions um, going into it. There were a lot of nerves, I think, more than more than I anticipated. I'm not one that gets usually too nervous for, for big games or anything like that. So um, it was a, a different feeling than I've ever felt before. Um, so going into it, but once I heard my name called, I think uh, I could just have a big sigh of relief. Obviously, it's the place that I wanted to be at, Indiana, um, close to home, close to, to IU, which means so much to me. So I'm um, just re- really grateful to spend that day with, with my family and my coaches. Um, so just just all kinds of feelings. I'd say the the biggest one is just excitement, ready to get going for sure. Did you really have? Obviously, this is you're you're going to happy to go to any of the twelve teams that drafted you, and this is the one that's that's close to home. Did you really have a sense as to where you were going to go going into the process? Um, I talked to like four or five teams um, going into it, so I had an idea of of what teams were interested in and and what teams I had a good conversation with and, and clicked with. Um, so I knew, you know, Indiana was was a good possibility, but obviously, you know, you you don't really know until your name gets called on draft night. So, um, you know, I was hopeful, but just keeping an, I kept an open mind going into it. Any idea how many season tickets you've sold already from friends and family that will come to watch you play? You know, seventeen home games this summer. Yeah, hopefully a lot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a short drive, obviously from Louisville, where I'm from. Um, like an hour and 50 minutes, so a nice, easy drive. Um, and then obviously, you know, at, at IU, we had some record-breaking crowds this year, so I'm um, just trying to encourage all of them to come up come, come up the road and support the Fever this summer like they did the Hoosiers uh, last winter. All right, so let, let's go back to that, and I'll go back to the beginning of your IU days in a matter of moments, but since you touched on it, I mean, we're talking about crowds of 17,000 at times to come watch you and your teammates play. Um, I, I understand you're trying to have the blinders on, you're trying to focus on getting ready for the game, but when you come out of the tunnel – and you see a, literally a sea of people, a wall of people on both sides. What was that experience like for you and your teammates this year? Um, I mean, I think it was really special just because, you know, as female athletes, we go to these other places and we realize that it's not like this everywhere. So um, to see that kind of support um, in Indiana and Bloomington, um, see how excited people were about women's basketball. Um, I mean, it's something we, we've been working for since I got there um, back in 2018. And even before that, when you saw, you know, maybe one, two or 3,000 people in the stands, a lot of empty seats. 
Um, never did I, you know, in a million years dream that we would consistently have people in the upper arena in Assembly Hall. So to see a packed Assembly Hall, you know, multiple times, not just once this year. Um, I mean, that was probably one of the things I'm most proud to be a part of. And, um, you know, I'm just really hopeful that that, that continues moving forward. Five 20-plus win seasons, uh, obviously deep runs in the NCAA tournament, getting to host games at Assembly Hall. When you first set foot on the Bloomington campus five years ago, has this, did this even like surpass your wildest dreams of what you could accomplish at IU? Um, honestly, like I think if you would have asked me, I think I would have told you I expected it and, and probably expected more. Um, I think just, you know, if, if you've ever talked to Coach Moore and she's someone that um, it's just really easy to buy into her vision when you hear her talk and hear how passionate she is about the program, about Indiana University and, and about uh, women's basketball in general. And um, she kind of laid out what she thought was possible for this program. And, um, you know, it, it was like I said, it was easy for me to buy into it and just give my all every single day because, um, you know, I just call, I kind of followed in her footsteps. She led the way, and I was just happy to be a part of it and do do everything that I can to, to help her achieve those goals. So, um, I mean, it was it was really special, a lot of, a lot of firsts. Um, for the Indiana women's basketball program in my time there, but um, I expect you know them to just keep rising uh, as long as Coach Warren's there. Again, Grace Berger, our guest, Greg Rakestraw with you, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So, all right, literally, I know you're like a couple of workouts in, you know, at this point uh, to, to, you know, be working at the Pacers facility, to have the fever gear on, the level of competition you're facing. What has this been like over these last 24 to 48 hours? Yeah, um, I mean, it's been, I think, super exciting. Um, I was excited before I got here, but but once I got here and, and met the coaches, met the staff, met some of the players that are here already, um, you know, I'm just that much more eager to, to really get going, hit training camp in a couple weeks. Um, you know, the workouts have been great, obviously challenging, um, a different level of basketball, different speed. So um, I'd say, you know, it's, it, one thing about IU is, is we prided ourselves on hard work. So it's nothing I haven't seen before. Um, so I feel, you know, pretty prepared on that aspect. But um, obviously, you know, a, a lot of challenges coming your way as a rookie moving into a league with the best athletes in the world. So I'm just trying to take it day by day and live in the moment. And, and you know, it's something I worked hard for, something I dreamed of. Um, but also just, you know, keep pushing to, to get better. So much of this is is you don't know what you don't know. You know, you're going to learn so much on the fly over the course of the next two or three months. But what are some of the things that going into it, you're like, okay, these are things I know I'm, I'm going to have to work on. or This is what has my attention, making that jump from a high level of college hoops to being a professional. Um, I think just the speed and, and the, the strength, um, the athleticism of the people you're going against, is going to be an adjustment. Um, obviously, you know, I, I played at a high-level high um, college basketball program in the Big Ten Conference, which is one of the best conferences in the country year in and year out, but it's just a different level. Um, there's only 144 spots, so you're truly going against the best athletes in the world every time you, you hit the court. So um, I think just, just adjusting to that, just adjusting to the speed, um, how quickly I do things, how quickly I have to make reads will probably be um, the biggest adjustments, and I'm sure I'll find some, some other weaknesses along the road um, in my first year that I need to work on. But um, I'm just going to it with, a, with an open mind. 
Um, I'm really excited, really eager to get out there and just, um, you know, be a sponge to those around me, keep learning. uh, And whatever I need to get better at, I'm going to work really hard at. All right, one player that was drafted above you as far as this team is concerned, uh, Aaliyah Boston. Your thoughts about being a teammate of hers and hopefully for a long time to come. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Um, I mean, I really I couldn't ask for anything more as a guard to have a post player like Aaliyah. Um, I got the chance to play with her at USA Basketball a couple of years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I've said this before, but she truly makes everyone around her better, um, which isn't, you know, necessarily a common trait with, with, with post players, but the way she can pass, the way she can um, set really good screens and roll and, and, you know, catch tough passes and make make you look good by, by putting the ball in the hole. Um, so I'm just really excited to play with her. She's a great person off the court. She's going to be a great, I think, ambassador for, for women's basketball in Indiana. Um, so I'm thrilled on that aspect as well. And, um, I mean, she's really talented. So I'm just excited to be on this journey with her. Grace, I know you're busy. I know there's going to be a lot of folks from both Louisville and Lanesville cheering you all the way uh, here with the Indiana Fever. Thanks for the time uh, and look forward to meeting you in person real soon. Yeah, of course. Thank you. I appreciate it. You got a Grace Berger. Again, kind enough to join the show. Thank you to Ryan Stevens and the folks at the Pacers for putting that together. And uh, yeah, I've got some buddies of mine, like literally like like four of them I went to high school with that are all like distantly related to Grace. And believe me, they're claiming her with the success that she has had first at Indiana University and now with the Indiana Fever. And again, this is a ridiculously high bar to set, okay? But it is certainly not lost on me that when you draft at one and seven and you have an SEC and college hoops level legend in Leah Boston and you have a local product, albeit not from Indianapolis, but one who is from this area and played her college basketball just down the road uh, in Grace Berger, man, there's a lot of parallels to Tamika Catchings and Katie Douglas. And that was the last time that Fever Basketball, you know, really was good and, and and kind of captured the attention of this fan base. And it has been a constant rebuilding process ever since Tamika hung them up. You know, the record of the Fever the last, I want to say, seven years, well, Brady Hoke would say not good in his own unique way. It's been far from good. Hopefully... That rebuilding process now stops. You've got, again, and and to ask them to go out and be successful immediately when you're counting on so many young players is a heck of an ask, and that's not what I'm saying. But now the hope is the pieces are in place, and the fever will give you another great reason to go to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And again, let's face it, the last two or three years, you know, it, it's been, where are they playing? Well, there was the one year in the bubble, and then they're at the Coliseum, and then they're over Hinkle, and then they're back to the Fieldhouse, and obviously that's all done. They have one exhibition game Saturday, May 13th, and they tip it off against the Connecticut Sun Friday, May 19th. Good luck to Grace and the rest of the Indiana Fever. We'll take this quick timeout. We'll come back, and we'll try to make sense of today's program, uh, catch up on the things that we missed, and, of course, Jimmy's going to make you some money. That's when we come back, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Back for the final time on this Tuesday afternoon. Greg Rakestraw filling in. We're, we're all nobody officially. It is the rotating chair of guest host on the program. The one constant is Jimmy Cook. As always, Jimmy, a pleasure to be with you. Who else is on the uh, wheel of fun to co-host with you this week? Tomorrow, as we give the wheel a spin, you'll have myself and we'll ask it. Very good. Having some more conversations in general about the NFL draft. Looking forward to taking a trip out to Houston to figure out if the smoke there about the Texans number two is real or if they are in fact going to wind up taking a quarterback. Yes, they will. Yes, I'll answer that for you. (laughs) Now, Houston is incompetent enough where they actually might not take a quarterback. That's what I'm saying, Greg. Okay. Uh, Incompetence (laughs) more than conspiracy. But no, they will come to their senses at some point in time uh, in the next nine days and they will take a quarterback at pick number two. A couple of things from Twitter from Pat. Did I miss Take the Rake? No, we didn't do it today. In other words, you you don't have the tic-tac-toe theme ready, do you? You don't have the Wink Martindale tribute band ready to go. Next time, because we had so many guests on the show today, I didn't have time to properly tease it up and, and frankly get you the prizes you deserve, as in raid JMB's desk for all of his alcohol he's not going to drink. Um, so we'll do that next. I don't know when the next time I'm here is going to be. Probably sometime sooner rather than later is my guess, though my days are getting pretty full as we get closer to the month of May in Indianapolis. So next time I'm on this show, we will do a segment of Take the Rake. But, Pat, thank you very much for asking. Uh, From Tim, is there a difference between MLB and NFL Hall of Fame voting? Absolutely there is. Um, MLB Hall of Fame voting or Pro Baseball Hall of Fame. Base, I think, is almost like in the neighborhood, like a like a there's there's some committees to get like veterans in and things like that. But like the the gen pop, so to speak, there's like a thousand voters and you can put up, I think, to 10 on your ballot and you have to be in the top 75 percent to get in the Hall of Fame vote for pro football. I want to say there are 50 people in the room. And that conversation happens pretty much like the Thursday before the Super Bowl, I want to say. Uh, And there basically are several national representatives, but there is specifically a representative for each NFL market slash team. Like, for example, I don't know if there are two L.A. riders or there's like one L.A. rider for the two teams there. Same with New York. I would assume there's probably two riders with two teams. Chap is the Indianapolis representative. So that's why I ask him every time I'm here, basically, something along those lines, because he is the only indie voice in that Hall of Fame discussion. And I think the number, Tim, is 50. I believe. Could be wrong about that. So hopefully that answers your questions. But the real question you're asking right now is how I can make some money. Thankfully, Jimmy's here for that. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day will get started with the NBA playoffs. Going to lay the five on the Cleveland Cavaliers as they host the New York Knicks tonight. Expect them to bounce back and even the series at a game apiece. In that same game, going to take Donovan Mitchell over 32 and a half total points for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Switching to Clippers and Suns. Going to scoop the eight on the Clippers tonight. I'm buying the Scott Foster thing, even though I think the Suns probably ultimately win. I'm going to scoop the eight there for the Clippers. That same game taking over 27.5 for Kevin Durant and over 28.5 for Kawhi Leonard. And to round things out, Rake, you're here. We got to do it. (laughs) 
Hang on a second. Uh, so give me, give me the two ma- two matches. Like Chelsea, Real Madrid are playing today, correct? Yes. And the other match is Napoli and AC Milan. Napoli and AC Milan. Um, <sighs> AC Milan has the lead, and they are hosting. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. No, no, no. no. Uh, I think Napoli's hosting. Napoli Milan has the lead. AC Milan has has, has, has the one goal advantage. Uh, I'll go with AC Milan to do no worse than draw and move on. Uh, and Chelsea kept it respectful. I think I think Real scored two against yep. them the first time yep. around. Um, give me Chelsea to win the leg, but Real Madrid to advance on. How about that? So I went. The opposite with both. So we got we got a little okay. bit of banter. I'm going to take Napoli to qualify to advance. So they're going to score two goals right, today yep, and move yep, on. And win by two, yep. And then I'm going to take Real Madrid, tie no bet in this specific leg, meaning that if they end up with a draw, but they at that point would move on in that scenario, my bet is a push. Yep. But if they win outright today, my bet is a win. Chelsea is a dumpster fire yeah, right now. Not great. Oh, my goodness. Like, like they're, it's, the, it's not going to happen because they're teams between them and the bottom. But they're so bad right now that you're like, are they? Are they maybe going to sneak in the relegation fight? Because they're not making the top four. Right. Not even. Cl- I don't think it's mathematically possible they can make the top four at this point. But that thing has gone off the rails. Twelve point cushion, I believe, between them and the last spot in relegation. And generally, like I remember, and this is 10, 12 years ago. Like you know, they had a year where they were like eighth, but they messed around and won the Champions League. Right. Which then gets you back in the Champions League the next year. <laughs> that is not in any way, shape, form, or fashion going to happen this time around. There you go, the Jay Cook play of the day. All right, a couple quick things before I, I, I exit stage left and, and hand the baton to JMV. Uh, mention this just in passing because, again, I think it's a no brainer. Um, Zach Eady is putting his name into the NBA draft, but is retaining his college eligibility. Um, duh. Any player that thinks he's in the top 100 should do that. And that way you get the feedback from the scouts, etc., from the NBA as to what your future is going to be. When we brought this up, it just happened to be when, when like this news popped right before one o'clock. And I know that John will talk more with Matt Painter about this coming up very soon in the program. Okay. But to give you an idea, um, NBADraft.net is is the site that I probably frequent the most in terms of prognostications. That mock draft currently has Zach Eady 48th, so middle of the second round. And again, it used to be after a certain amount of time, like, for example, God rest his soul with Caleb Swanigan, it was, hey, that is the best you were going to do after you had a great level, a great final year at Purdue. Go ahead and take the money. Try to carve out your niche on an NBA roster. Well, now with name, image, and likeness, all of a sudden it's a different conversation to where you're like, all right, you find out where you're going to go. But once you do that, frankly, he's probably going to make more money playing at Purdue than he would being a second-round pick, which makes Todd Meyer smile, who just happened to walk into the room and obviously is our most passionate Purdue person of those that work on the station on a regular basis. So, Zach is doing everything he should. I think there's more of a future for him in the NBA than others might believe. But at the same time, if his draft status doesn't improve greatly – I'd go back to West Lafayette for one more year. 
and a chance, even though it wasn't his fault, to right the wrong that was Fairleigh Dickinson uh, in the first round. Now, it's too soon to mention that. Is forever too soon on that. Okay, 4 o'clock is the time for Matt. I knew Matt was going to be on. Didn't know exactly what time. Four bells is what I am told by Mr. John Purdue himself in Todd Meyer. Uh, that same draft prognostication, by the way, has Jalen Hood Shafino 16th to the Jazz, Trace Jackson Davis 20th to the LA Clippers. Now, that's guaranteed to not happen, but just gives you kind of a range as to where those guys currently are. I've got 40 seconds of show left to go. So instead of thanking Jimmy, okay, I'll thank him. I don't have time to thank all of the guests. I'm going to thank the University of Indianapolis. Why? Well, because today is UND Day. Every college like has their day where they go all out on social media and in terms of getting donations for specific programs, etc. I would not be where I'm at today, let alone would not have met my wife and had the family that I did had I not attended the University of Indianapolis. So my gift, and trust me, I'll give some dollars as well, to the alma mater today is giving them this free plug that today is UND Day. Donate if you feel so inclined. JMV, who was briefly a Greyhound, comes up next, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fam.